0: Welcome to Make My Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jake Hill.
1: And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week we conclude the first part of the first war of the Annihilation Saga. Excelsior! or Yeah. The Annihilation Saga, you say? Yes. What is this thing? I have never heard of it before. Uh, that's going to be rough because you're expected to talk about it for the next, like, hour plus. <laughs> um...
0: But uh, Annihilation Saga, if you're just joining us, uh, we are reading one of my favorite big, big runs of comics, uh, which we are calling the Annihilation Saga. That starts with a comic called Annihilation, hence the name, but it's going to later spiral into a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy and Nova comics, mostly written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, who at the end of uh, what we're talking about today begin their writing on this in earnest.
1: Yeah, we had a little bit of their writing, I want to say... Uh, which miniseries was that? I think One they did the... an
0: issue. They did a, a Nova. Oh, no, they did the Nova. Yeah, miniseries. they did
1: Annihilation Nova.
0: Yeah, that was a uh, four issues.
1: Yeah, but so far this has been Keith Giffen's baby, uh, and with a few other writers being brought in, uh, including the uh, creator of Transformers, Simon Furman. Yeah, still I <laughs> that as well. Wild.
0: Um yeah, totally wild, and um, we're gonna get a brief cameo today by one of my favorite, like, quiet, great comic artists uh, writers, uh, Christos
1: Gage Christos Gage, he's done, just... he, he does a lot, he's mostly associated with uh, IDW nowadays but... Although he
0: uh, he does Spider-Man, he did some yeah. really good Buffy comics um, Just, uh, and every so often, he, he did a bunch of good Marvel cartoon stuff Whenever he comes in and does a Marvel comic, though, it, it's, I always like it It's always what, my favorite part of that story
1: he gets the jake hill seal of approval
0: big time Whatever. if you're out there mr gage ding um but okay lies so i'm like a, a big annihilation fan you are something of an, a newbie to annihilation so so far what's our story so far going into uh today's books
1: so far Pop Quiz Annihilus, Pop this big creepy bug dude from the negative zone, which is this alternate dimension that's part of our universe, but is the opposite. <laughs> it's I still don't really know what the negative zone's deal is, but the gist of it for this story is the negative zone is the anti humander universe, and Annihilus is uh uh the anti-monitor and he's like i hate the main universe but he's a little bit he's a little bit less uh maniacal and a little bit more i want it all i want it all and i want it now so oh, he's very maniacal he's like a a little toddler but oh yeah he's oh he's so petulant oh it's yeah, amazing petulant. that's the right word it's amazing he's so petulant uh <laughs> But he wants the regular universe, so he basically invades it with a bunch of bugs, murders the entire Nova Corps, who are basically the space police, uh, except for one, our focal character, Rich Rider. And then they're just here eating away at the universe, slowly moving their way across it. Thanos is involved. We're introduced to these big cosmic concepts. They want to capture Galactus because Galactus has a lot of power. It's a whole thing. Uh, (laughs) Last time we talked, we watched. We read three different miniseries focusing on a bunch of the lesser-known characters, and I had no idea how they were going to tie into anything. They didn't feel particularly important. They were fun side diversions, but...
0: Especially eh. because those were... um... They weren't really war stories. Like, the war was in the backdrop of each of those. Yeah. But those characters didn't have anything to do with the main Annihilation War. And that's kind of what today's uh, reading is. is It's six issues of the Annihilation War, or like the second half of it, because there's a major time jump of about uh, three months. A lot. Um, And then we deal with the aftermath of that. Um, So I guess we should get into it, because we open up in... um, Annihilation Number One, uh, the the, the six issue Annihilation series is written by Keith Giffen with art by Andrea Devito, uh, colored by Laura Laura Viral, colored by Laura Villari, and lettered by uh, Virtual Calligraphy's Corey Petit. Um, before we talk about the Battle of Daedalus Five, which is the subject of this issue, um, what do you think about uh, Andrea Devito on the uh, primary art duties for these issues?
1: I think he killed it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell me now. More.
0: Do well, I like excited. the
1: style? I'm more uh I'm a little bit more uh what's the word for it? Middling on the style itself. You're like but lukewarm? I think, uh, yeah, I think there there are bits of it where I'm like, this is clearly this was clearly a choice and a stylistic thing and like of the era. But in terms of like the craft and the sequential art and all of that, it's it's great for a war story. It feels like a Marvel book. It looks like a Marvel book. And yeah, it kind yeah, yeah. of channels the previous books as well while laying its own spin on it. Like, totally. I really feel overwhelmed by this bug army. And the cosmic scale is massive. All the people are kind of dirty, but like s- realistically rendered. So you've got. Contoured chins, for lack of a better term. I'm like, I look at this and I, I'm like, I instantly understand the type of story that's being told.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of, I guess the the negative quality of, of the art that I'm picking up on is it's really busy when it doesn't have to be in times. I yeah. feel like, uh, yeah. Marvel, uh, 10 years after this, like really learned how to clean stuff up around the time that Hawkeye is coming out and, um, When Chris Samney's work on Daredevil is getting some uh, popularity, they learn uh, not to put so many little lines all over everything.
1: Yeah, this was definitely like an industry standard uh, choice. (laughs) Yeah. You really want to make the most out of the artist and like, this isn't for kids anymore. (laughs) We're not just going to have a circle and then slap on a primary color. But those can be great. I mean, look at all of Runaways currently. That's yeah, I think that's that the style, and that style came way back into
0: fashion after yeah. after these books. The two things about the art that um, I find really striking, one of them is just that um, whenever there's like a moment, an opportunity for good design, uh, Davidio crushes it. Like uh, when you see Galactus is all is in his prison with those like weird things over his eyes, those weird like bumpy sunglasses things. Yeah. That was just totally freaky, and there's no explanation for what Galactus is supposed to be seeing or doing or what that device is, but you just understand how terrifying it is. No words need to be given. Yeah. Um, And the other thing that's so masterful about this is Giffen's an old pro. He's been writing comic scripts for uh, probably 30 years at this point and um the script is awesome just like every there's a big panel when you need a big panel there's a small panel when you need a small panel there's a full page splash when something needs the moment but just uh like the pacing of this is just somebody who does this as easy as breathing i'm really critical of this when like when non-comics people are trying their hand at comics for the first time and they're like a really good writer otherwise uh that sort of pacing is the stuff that they that takes uh, you years to learn. And this is yeah. what it looks like when, when it's like second nature. This is so good.
1: Yeah. I, I think it helps that also Keith Given is an artist. Totally. So That's he a great point. Really understands what a page should look like kind of more intuitively. So it could be like, okay, this is how much space you're probably going to need to tell this. And the other artists could be like, "No, I could probably do it in this, or I maybe I should give this more time to breathe." But you can feel, you can feel the rhythm, and I, I think Given did a lot better writing here than he did writing the the Drax mini. Oh, I'm really interested
0: to hear that. Do you want to talk about that like broadly, or you want to get into it specifically and start talking about the Battle of Daedalus Five? Uh,
1: let's let's start talking about it specifically.
0: Awesome. So we're picking up. Um... When we left, last left off, what was the Annihilation Day number at the end of the last part we read?
1: At the last end, end of the last part, we were technically at the day day 99. Because I kept saying, oh, something big's going to happen on day 100. And I was wrong.
0: Well, yeah, so we were waiting for day... Well, you're kind of right. Because now the, uh, this story picks up. And it, uh, we don't get a, a, like a day number right away. But the first time it's mentioned is in the middle of the battle. Or sometime... On the second day that we're seeing of the battle, and it says that we're at Annihilation Day plus two hundred.
1: Yeah. So yeah, and that that caught me off guard because at the beginning I thought it was, I thought it was a lot earlier because they they were being very vague about it and they were kind of tiptoeing around. Oh, it's been six months, but they're touching on certain aspects that I'm like, what's going on? Where's the timeline? Then they drop a date, and I'm like, oh, this is a lot farther forward.
0: Yeah, and it 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 feels kind of weird. It feels like a almost like there's a part of the story missing. Yeah, because so much has changed.
1: Why they made that choice? Because characters showed up and were interacting with each other. I'm like, but weren't they just doing this? What about Uh, this?
0: But I was thinking of how, in like, in a movie, this would be such a strong storytelling decision if the whole early part of the movie is about the rumblings of war. And then suddenly we jump to the war has been raging for three months and everybody's roles are different. Their personalities are different. They look different. They have new scars, new relationships. They even have new coloring. Yeah. Uh, sometimes significantly new coloring, as yeah. I'm sure we'll get. It. So uh, we got, we're opening up and uh, Richard Ryder, who is the last Nova... Uh, Was last, like, we last saw him, he was scared of his power, he had just been injured in an early opening battle of the war, totally traumatized, and now he's commander of the entire United Forces, of all the galaxy's troops.
1: Yeah, and they're trying to fend off, you know, Annihilus, as you do on Daedalus It's It's actually day 206. Day 206? Yeah, day 206. But that's after the first battle that we get that timestamp you know in that first battle they're all they're yelling at each other and they're like this is war and we get kind of a roll call of where everyone's been we get all the the heralds we get also introduced to a uh, ronin's there he's kicking butt and he's like all the crease suck yeah he's able well, to me Richard talks about how um
0: how the, like, Kree grunts love Ronan, but the Kree command thinks, it hates him and is terrified of him. And that's yeah. because every time a uh, Kree commander shows, like, a moment of cowardice, Roman just uh, blows them away with his hammer, and then the soldiers all cheer and start following him. And it's kind like, it's kind of terrifying, but it's kind of amazing. I love Ronan in
1: these six issues. I think Ronan's the coolest. I'm surprised at how much I liked Ronan by the end of this, because the Ronan mini did not endear me to him very much. But,
0: well you were right when you said he was kind of like a judge dread in that one, but in this he kind of has a sense of humor
1: about it. yeah, he has a sense of humor and also the motivations and his arc is a little bit more clear. I like, it's pretty obvious maybe not obvious that he's he's often in the right, but you he's in the middle of war like this is he it's Ronin in his element. Uh, and when you transplanted them to that other planet, th- what it, the murkiness of what he was supposed to be doing and, and trying to figure out was not captured. But here, because what he's supposed to be doing and standing for and standing in for is a little bit more clear, it's a lot easier to be like, oh yeah, look at Ronin. He's awesome. Uh, all these other guys suck. Yeah. Watch well, and, him um... murder folks. Oh, but you're also like, inside you're like, He's really uncompromising and that's not good. But that's kind
0: of what they need. Well, and it's it's like fun in like a larger than life space opera kind of way. Yes. Like uh Ronin as like a Klingon character would be oodles of fun in the Star Trek movie.
1: Yes. Where I he's think like, if this were a more grounded, realistic story, you can't hear me, but my air quotes are very big. Oh, I could hear them alright. Uh Ronin would he's the kind of character that i think an audience would have a lot more difficulty with especially if the the writer doesn't handle him right but because this is space opera I, I, fun war i guess it is it's a fun it war. is a
0: fun war i mean military fiction is like totally a genre that lots of people love yeah and uh and uh, sometimes It's easier it to gets... swallow when
1: it's space.
0: And that's what I was going to say. It's, uh, sometimes when you get grounded down in the grim realities of politics that hurt people, it's uh, less uh, easy to have uh, fun with. But, what, but it's, uh, when you do it like this, it's an adventure story.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, also notable in the high command of the United Marvel races fighting against the bugs is our first look at a very famous popular movie star character, and that is Peter Quill
1: oh my god he looks like the most generic sci-fi dude ever
0: i mean to be fair he kind of looks like the most generic sci-fi dude ever in like when he's chris pratt with a red leather
1: jacket he does but this this is i i took one look at peter guan like that doesn't look like the chris pratt version i'm fine with that i know he's a very different character here he also has like he's missing an eye he's just got a robot eye He's got, like, three robot eyes where his one eye should be. Yeah, I don't know when that changes. But I was looking <laughs> at him, I'm like, if we didn't have all this current history, if the movie hadn't, I want to say, reinvented him, I don't know what happens to him in the rest of the series. I'm sure we'll explore that. But then reinvented him, I would have just been like, he's another generic space dude that I guess we'll see again. But he, he looks like he fell out of... Uh, Oh, God. What's that magazine? Like, uh, 2000 AD? I guess. Or like, I mean, uh, yeah. He, like do- he does look magazine? like a 2000 AD character, but. Heavy not... metal? I'm
0: trying to think of, uh. I'm trying uh, to think of what. No. Old, uh. British sci fi magazines.
1: I mean, yeah. He, he, he. Yeah, basically.
0: Yeah, he totally looks like if you were doing just like a 90s story about, uh. A... Um I I've, I've been reading a little bit of of old uh, Grimjack comics. He kind of looks Even like, like
1: Grim- 70s and 80s, I think he could have fallen off of a pulp cover.
0: Yeah, and he kind of looks like like when they were doing like bad adaptations of like Alien and, and Terminator <laughs> yeah. and stuff. This would have been like a, he would have been hanging out and fighting the Terminators in the future war. What do you think of uh, his character though beyond his uh, his
1: dorky look? He is the prototypical MCU protagonist. He's uh, got the yeah. snark.
0: He's, he's definitely got... snarky.
1: Uh, That's what I mean. Like the way current MCU protagonists talk, he has that, which is fascinating to see here in this story. He's uh, but because the rest of the story doesn't have that. He is the only one other than like Cammy and Cammy has a very different kind of uh, snark throughout the comic. What little we see of her.
0: Yeah, although I think the main thing I'm going to come back to as the big difference I see between uh, Star-Lord as we meet him here and Star-Lord as we meet him in the movies mm-hmm. is right away Star-Lord here is, like, weary. You feel like he's been traveling for a long time. This is not his first big galactic war, um, and it's not in a way where he's still, like, having fun and, like, living this, like, young boy's fantasy of a space he's war. He's so sad. He's yeah, a sad he's... boy. He's got jokes, and he's sad, and I, you know, that's a pretty classic character, but really what he reminds me of is he reminds me of Han Solo when you meet him in Mos Eisley, where he's, like, putting on a big, like, I've been from one end of the galaxy to the other, kid, and I've never seen anything that make me believe in Galactus, is, like, what he sounds like to me.
1: Yeah, I think he has, he has less cynicism than Han Solo, but he's more, he's sad, he's more sad he's very very low energy like he's making all these jokes but it's clearly a front with han like you can interpret that a lot of the the bravado is a bit of a front but you also feel that he believes him he believes in that with peter you're like you hear the jokes and you're like this is definitely who he is but he's really fighting to be present
0: yeah, and I guess at, he's gonna get a little closer to the movie version. But what I like is when you start him like this. There's such an interesting growth where he becomes. He he's like already a reluctant hero. He feels yeah. like an out, a real outlaw, like a like a, he's sick of the outlaw life. And then when he gets called to superheroing, it feels like. Um, you really understand why he's so disenchanted with like uh his freewheeling life and why he wants to start like having other people in his life in a way that i feel like the that the arc of the movies is more of a generic like little boy realizes that he that family is important yeah and this is more like a, a cynical jaded guy rediscovers like his uh will to live basically and like uh uh starts uh living with other people mostly rocket yeah. raccoon as we'll see and um, I mean,
1: he has been basically fighting a war for half a year, plus whatever happened before that, which is all very mysterious here. I'm not sure if that was explored in comics before or if no. that was straight up Giffen going, he's now troubled. Um, you haven't yeah, seen been... him in 20 years.
0: There's even, um, he shows up in the what, the the Giffen written ongoing Thanos series that uh, informs a lot of stuff that's going on here.
1: Oh. I didn't know that.
0: Um, there's, like, always more stuff to pick up, but I think this is a pretty clean jumping-on point because, l- yeah. like, a lot of that stuff is whatever. He was in jail. He had a sentient spaceship. He um, fought a weird alien demon and, like, uh, had to set a colony to self-destruct and killed a bunch of people, and then he was on the run. Like, st- you know, exactly like he looks. He was in those sorts of generic sci-fi adventures. Would have been made for some great 90s TV that w- it was not quite as interesting as Farscape. <laughs> Like, like sub Escape, Oof. Oof. Um, Brutal. I, I love Farscape, um, and I'm sure I would love Babylon 5. I should really watch Babylon 5 along with your reviews sometime. Elias writes yep. great Babylon 5 reviews, you guys, and I've never watched that show. You anyway. must watch it. It's on HBO Max in HD now. Um, that sounds scary, but I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued. We'll talk more about this off the air. I have an idea. Um Anyway, you mentioned the Heralds of Galactus, and there uh, there are a bunch of them. And what I like is they are the big guns. Uh, there's, like, a lot of troops on the ground dying and getting slaughtered by bugs. And there's only a couple of Heralds of Galactus. But each of them are, like, you know, punching way above oh, the way class of one guy, flying through space. They're the Air Force. They're doing bombing missions. They're just, like— I, Another thing I like about this is how you understand how superheroes could be, like, a resource in a desperate war like this.
1: Yeah. I love how there's there's just the, this line from Richard and he's like we were fighting a 2D war but now we're fighting in 3D. <laughs> That's all I could hear. I'm just like, okay, so they put on their red and blue glasses and suddenly they were able to figure out how to do planetary missions. That would be um
0: that would be a cool addition to his costume, I think, a little 3D glasses. He's already got this like battle vest to let you know things are serious. Yeah, oh yeah. His battle vest and his uh, floppy helmet. Um, Next in the core group of um, our heroes in this war is Drax and Cami, who are still around. And what's interesting to me is that uh, we went from Drax seeming like a really heavy hitter to now Drax is just like a guy with knives. He's killing a lot of bugs considering, and he's like not getting murdered is a huge accomplishment. But he's not one of the heralds of Galactus or Nova or something. He's like uh, small potatoes
1: in this army. Yeah. I mean, it, there's not much he can do other than take out a lot of people. Or
0: yeah, bugs. and it's it, re, it reminds me a little bit of um, the Captain America scenes in the first Avenger movie. In the, <laughs> yeah. the God, that's that's so confusing to say the in the battle of New York at the end of the first Avengers movie, how like Thor and Iron Man and Hulk are like doing insane things, and Captain America's like fighting like six or seven guys, and you're like, Oh damn, I, I couldn't even fight one guy. Cap is you go, a Cap. Yeah, that's what Drax feels like. He's fighting a couple of guys, and that's real cool. Um, candy yeah. serves no purpose in this war, she, but I kind of like her as just like a refugee kid who got caught up because she had nothing better to do.
1: Yeah, I think maybe because I don't know if she showed up anywhere else in any of the other Giffen stuff or whatever, but she's really superfluous. Yeah, you have this. read. She's not frustrating, but she's superfluous, and I never got like Giffin knew what to do with Cammy. Like he was kind of stuck with the character, didn't want to kill her off, which I like that move. I think killing Cammy off for whatever pathos would have been a terrible, terrible choice. But um, she still having nothing to do.
0: You haven't missed any you have so far read every issue that Cammy has appeared in Marvel Jesus, Comics up to this point.
1: That's horrible. <laughs>
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think he thought she was a good idea, and then he was like, "Oh, but it turns out I don't have a good idea," and then he kind of writes her off at the end of this story. We'll talk about where she ended up briefly in a little bit. Um, yeah. Finally, the last member of our core squad in the War Command is Gamora, who um, last we saw, she was leading like a gang of bad girl criminals on like some dusty planet, and now um, she's the uh, head of like yeah. Black Ops Intelligence, and she's like a super spy. And she's hooking up with Nova, and they kind of, like, uh, share a tent, and Star-Lord's there, too. They kind of have, like, a uh, uh, clearly uh, Nova and Gamora have, like, a physical relationship, and Star-Lord is kind of, like, sitting on the edge of the bed <laughs> a lot of the time. Right? You get the vibe? Yeah. There's, like, a lot of Star-Lord coming into their uh, room where they're uh, not dressed and just kind of, like, not looking too carefully and sitting in a chair and having, like, a long, naked conversation with them, and I like it. I think that's a great dynamic. Oh, Star-Lord. I also... It's
1: always so sad.
0: (laughs) I really buy into uh, Nova and Gamora's relationship here, weirdly.
1: Yeah, it's... It does come out of nowhere, but that's also because it's clearly established that it's been, like, a hundred days, and we just haven't seen, and so this is just where they're at, and Giffen sells where they're at very well. Uh, And it's not like it's this deep bond of longing across the ages. It's... feels like it's not a not a relationship of convenience but because the war is here they're finding the this connection and the value in this connection
0: yeah something that i i think sometimes about i'm a big wrestling fan and sometimes i think about how uh wrestlers always are getting married to other wrestlers and you're always hearing rumors about wrestler romance and and whatnot Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is just like when you're living a very odd lifestyle that takes you on the road a lot, and you're traveling in wrestling's case for shows and whatever, you're just naturally going to. It's it makes a lot more sense to get romantically involved in somebody who understands and shares that weird lifestyle.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's kind of the same thing here. It's like uh, they they know they're at war, and they know that they're gonna like uh, come back to these tents every night. They're not gonna meet anybody else. It just kind of seems, it seems like a little thing of a convenience, and it seems like they're like, oh, we kind of like each other. That sucks which i think is a fun relationship dynamic and i also like how um this plays into gamora's characterization uh which we'll see more of later and if you go back to like her 70s comics where she's just got a real thing for good guys kind of like catwoman mm-hmm. where she's just like uh oh he seems nice i should totally uh date him and treat him like shit um and um and she does that a lot uh, in the 70s with adam warlock and she's doing she's got kind of a similar relationship here with nova yeah, um, and um, yeah, it just seems like really uh, they they give and take in equal measure. It seems like a very equal relationship.
1: Yeah, and she looks I'm just because I commented on it last time she looks a lot more like her current design in terms of versus the previous one. Even though she's still wearing the skull V neck, for some reason it's it feels video sells it better than. <laughs> than it was uh, in the Ronin Mini. I don't yeah, know what she's... it is about the the design here. Maybe the, the inclusion of a cape.
0: The last one had a cape too. But, but you're right. She looks more like solid and grounded in the world. And I feel like the uh, with her old design, she looked like she was floating through everything. And it really uh, clashed with the desert p- planet. And here, for whatever reason, video can just uh, draw her. And she still looks like ridiculously dressed, but at least she looks like a ridiculously dressed person. And not like a cartoon character in a non-cartoon world, which is what I thought you looked like in the running series.
1: Yeah. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3 cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my no wife, no bad to end to Dio impressions, this is bad. What the? F- and an in-depth look at DC each week. Join us every Wednesday morning at MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us that's our primary cast uh but at the beginning of of this this issue there's a lot of fighting there's a lot of talking i was very shocked by kind of the progression of things and which characters were still alive like we keep intercutting between the fight on the ground and uh, at one point, no, uh, Nova and Drax are fighting over who gets to be self-sacrificing first, which I thought was a fantastic moment. Great himbos right there. They're like, no, yeah. I get to do this big self-sacrifice. No, me! Yeah, and that's great, uh, that's great, like,
0: war fiction stuff, right? That's the kind of, uh, those are the genre beats of yeah. like uh the soldiers arguing over who gets to be more heroic and be more loyal and look out for the squad. And it's also fun because uh last time we saw Drax and Richard, it was uh, their, their relationship was not equal. Uh Richard was seemed like such a neophyte, Drax seemed like such a veteran, and now Drax is working for Richard, totally has his respect, but he re- but also there's the I but I remember you before you were a cool general thing. Um yeah, and you I, you feel the, the they suddenly have a history together, and again, so impressive how Giffen just pulls that around by he just turns around and now everyone has history. You believe it, and they have these relationships. Yeah, the Avengers movies never pull that off with the Avengers characters. No. It, like you go from the first movie to Age of Ultron, and you're like, oh, these guys are solidly co-workers. and these guys feel like real Battle Forge companions in uh, in Annihilation.
1: Well, I was gonna say I don't know how the the Avengers had what two team ups one in each movie and it took um, it took uh spoilers the death of phil colson to bring them together in that first movie even though thanos was sending his people to earth to fuck him up
0: i'm saying as we will uh t- check in on towards the end of this episode um avengers can get fucked this is this guardians team is where it's at these are, these are the heroes Oof. i want defending me
1: Ooh, brutal so after Drax and Richard, you know, fight over who gets to die first, uh, they both survive, but there's a nice big explosion scene. Uh, Fire Lord breaks, on to, breaks into the uh, Queen ship, uh, the Queen uh, Extripia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, yeah, sure, why not? a badass line, which also made me scratch my head. Like, why did he need to put ladies in quotation mark? I don't <laughs> I'm
0: know. I'm sure there's... A- I think there's a linguistic reason for that rather than, like, a xenobiology reason, but I'm not
1: sure. I don't know, but it was still—it it had the intended effect of being that, that one-line stinger right before a giant explosion. <laughs> uh, and then we cut back to uh, Annihilus basically being, like, Annihilus is love, Annihilus is life, uh, and yelling at Thanos. He keeps calling everything intolerable, which— it's amazing. So this this is how I hear Annihilus' voice. Intolerable! I was about to say, do you hear Miss
0: Skeletor? Because that's a real
1: Skeletor voice. Yeah. Oh, wow, I think I just put the mic. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, who was the original voice of Skeletor? That dude was impressive. I have no idea. But, yeah, we get we get a good, good conversation between Thanos and Annihilus and then Annihilus and Ravenous. And then I just... Th- I did not understand the this this scene. There was one where uh, what scene? What I have wrote in my notes that a, one of the groups of gruff, grizzled men needed to talk to each other and yell at the only woman in the room to basically be quiet. The men are talking, and I was like, "Okay, thanks, thanks for that." What a nihilist does that. I think it. I think it was Annihilus and Thanos at Screet.
0: Uh That sounds likely. Oh yeah, and they do say uh, Anni- Annihilus does say intolerable a lot, but that's a great, a uh, great little toddler stompy thing for him to say. Oh
1: no, it was Annihilus and Ravenous yelling at his queen. Uh, the queens were talking, and Annihilus is like, "Silence!" Um, and he yeah. And no, just at Ravenous more. Those guys.
0: Those those guys aren't very nice. No, Annihilus not. and Ravenous. Uh, how did you feel about, uh, by the end of all of these issues, how did you feel about Ravenous?
1: I think, uh, at this point, he's starting to feel like a more solid villain. Uh, Definitely only, by the end of this.
0: If only through, like, sheer persistence,
1: right? Yeah. Like, it, there's no reason he should have made it this far, but he does. And he's kind of, he's not a kingmaker. He's not, like, he's not smart. He's he's basically just a kind of... Uh, solid general who happens to make it to the end and so is heir to the throne
0: well i kind of i guess i have a soft spot for i love the villains that are just opportunistic survivors Mm -hmm. and no no matter what like the bigger villains who have ideology and evil plans and vision always go down but no matter what this character survives them all norman osborne's kind of like that he's just such a little Uh, roach
1: yeah Um, he, he really is just a little roach
0: and um, I'm trying to think of, like, uh, the the Enforcers, any henchmen, the wrecking crew, any henchmen that are, like, jumping from one master to another. And he's like, yes, yes, I serve you now. That, that's that's so Ravenous's vibe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He has no vision. He just wants to kill people and steal superpowers and chomp on stuff with his big grinning teeth. And he doesn't care who's going to give him permission to do it. He just wants permission.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, Ravenous. He's—but at, at the start here, he's kind of just— there i didn't i wasn't even i didn't even give raven as a second thought i'm like oh i guess he'll show up do some fighting etc cetera, etc cetera. it'll be fine uh, and then we cut back to more peter quill and richard Ryder bonding nice nice stuff nice stuff we get our drax and cammy scene well we won't see cammy again for i don't know 30 pages 40 <laughs> uh, after although <laughs> when drax cammy's like you can't fool me. The only reason you're fighting at this war is to get at him, at Thanos. And it's just a beat. And then he smiles, clever girl. I'm like, <laughs> is Cammy a Velociraptor now? That'd be cool. She could it cool. run- with the runaways. A wear Velociraptor, use- maybe? Space Velociraptor. There we go. There we go. That's a plot. <laughs> That's a plot
0: right there. That sounds like a, you'll team her up with Gert or, or, and Chase. I, I can see it. <laughs> yeah. I can see a version of this comic.
1: Yeah. but I'm. So we find out that Extripia survived the explosion and is now captured by the good guys. And they're trying to get as much information as they can out of her. Uh, and she basically just sits there and taunts them with the knowledge that Galactus and the Silver Surfer were taken down.
0: Oh man. And then we just get like a killer sequence of galactus fighting, having like a fist fight with Aegis and Tenebris, who we were introduced to uh, in the Silver Surfer uh, miniseries last episode. yeah and and they're like not we actually learn a lot more about them by the end of the, uh, the series, but they're not celestials, but they're basically celestials. They're just like a different breed of chaos celestials and they just have a huge fisticuffs fight in space like punching through rubble and planets and space stations and you just see like ships flying away from them and Galactus is just vomiting in like pink energy beams it's the, it's so cool it's like the coolest godzilla stuff i've never and no marvel movie has ever done anything close to a fight like this
1: no, and it's not even that long, which makes it even better. You you feel just how outclassed Galactus was, which you is... You get the feeling he could take one of these guys, but not amazing. both of them. Yeah, but like you think Galactus was outclassed, not defeated, not sent away. Like, the Fantastic Four have beaten Galactus, but nothing like this. This is Galactus getting his clock cleaned.
0: He like gets some good punches and everything, but yeah, he just gets like smashed and lasered. And at one point, there's like a little bit of a, like drifting DDT into a planetoid and blows up some pyramids.
1: Yeah, and then Thanos shows up to smirk because that's all he's good for.
0: That's a specialty. But yeah, so the big the big deal is um, Annihilus now has Galactus, and it and it turns out this has been Thanos's plan all along is he is going to figure out how to part Galactus with the Power Cosmic, which lets Galactus do all the crazy stuff that he does, and Annihilus is under the impression that when Thanos does this, he's Annihilus will get to keep the Power Cosmic for himself, and Thanos will, I don't know, just like be happy to profit? have served? Mm. Th-
1: Annihilus isn't thinking about anything else, but we don't even find any of that out for another, like three issues. Like, that's that's, that's a ha- second half. And for right now, we just know that Thanos needed Galactus, Thanos has Galactus, and that's bad news.
0: Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, we continue on with the Battle of Daedalus, but not before uh, Drax is visited by a character who I don't think we've talked about yet in these issues. Am I correct? And no, that character we haven't.
1: We haven't is... met them. My my first reaction actually was, Wait. What? Because I know the character, I know the connection later on, uh, but Drax is sitting there frying up a bug haunch, getting ready to chow down, when uh, Phyla Vell kind of stumbles on in, shows up, she's got her her mysterious cloak, looking like she just fell out of a, you know, oracle at Delphi. Oh, I love this look, it's, it's like
0: it's red and silver it kind of looks
1: like uh an
0: outfit that uh rachel summers would wear in the x-men it's uh but instead of spiky it's got these cool like circular plates and then it's got the captain marvel star on it but that's silver too and it's got these like long
1: daggers with the black cloak this is a great look it is a great look she definitely is serving the function of a very uh not not generic but um the the role she is playing you see she's this like a, in all sorts of in all sorts of movies the per, the person stumbles out of nowhere with important information and then faints right away and then you get that exposition scene where they're waking up and she's
0: like the informant like, uh, this was yeah. like uh, the what was uh, the Carrie the Carrie Russell character in in Star Wars Episode Nine who just like shows up every so often with her cool helmet to be like I got the intel and now I got to go back and do some crime
1: yeah. I, I was thinking more of like the scientist that escapes the lab at the last second and shows up like stumbles into the heroes thing in the first five minutes of the of the movie. Oh sure, I was just rewatching Goldeneye. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while.
0: Uh, that's that's pretty mm-hmm. much how yeah, every every scene of Goldeneye is Philovel stumbling out of an alleyway. <clears throat> yeah. Uh but Thanks. anyway, so um Lovell, in, in uh case you need reminder or our readers need a reminder, uh is uh the um the daughter of Marvel, who is an old time Marvel hero, and it's like pretty complicated to talk about him. But that makes her, if you'll realize Elias, Phyla would be the sister of Hulkling, the half sister.
1: Oh, oh crap, yeah.
0: Right? They're both uh children of um of Marvel. And I don't think we've really addressed that in any Marvel comic in a major way. It's been mentioned here and there, but there hasn't been a great, like, Philovel
1: meets Hulkling issue yet, so that's a story that's yet to be told.
0: I think Um, it's because
1: a lot of the current Marvel universe really wants to just forget about the original Captain Marvel, and I don't know why.
0: In Hulkling issues they've done recently, there's been a lot of him reflecting on his dad, which is, like, a fair uh, place to move that character to. Is like, uh, an important character in the past who means a lot to a bunch of different characters. That's fine. Yeah. Um. In, it was 2007 or so when these issues are coming out, so we're not exactly using the the gay marriage word to describe uh, what Phyla and Moondragon's deal is, but they're married. That's like, that's obviously clear, right?
1: Yeah, they're definitely a couple, they're definitely together. They're, they're literally visiting the grave of the... who Who's the brother? I'm reading the caption. Uh, Phyla, Phyla- Vale's uh, father and brother. Jenice
0: a... is a uh, was the Captain Marvel of the very early two thousands.
1: There's another 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 Captain Marvel.
0: Yeah, I'm actually going to tell this story since you're bringing it up and it's crazy. Um, I believe it's Peter David, right? So okay. uh, there is there is a uh, bet going on at Marvel in the early two thousands between Bill Jemis, Peter David, and. Um, one other like weird Marvel guy in those days and basically they all bet that they could do a miniseries that was like their dream miniseries and whoever gets the most sales the book gets to continue Uh uh-huh one of those books is the worst thing that Marvel has maybe ever published which is Marvel.
1: I was gonna say oh as soon as you said
0: Bill Jemis I'm like oh no One of them is um, called Ultimate Adventures, and it's a really just, like, lazy snooze fest of a Batman pastiche set in the Ultimate Universe. And Uh one of them was Peter David's idea for a Captain Marvel reboot. And what's funny about it is that's the kind of thing that Marvel would definitely publish today. Maybe not that specifically, but, like, a creator coming in and being like, I have an old favorite. I want to try to make this work with, like, a whole new uh, twist. I think Marvel of today would love a a pitch like that. And Peter David introduced Janice Vell, who is the son of um, Captain Marvel. And Phyla is introduced in that series. Oh. And that's where, that's where and she's that, from.
1: And so that series
0: continued. And that's the one that ended up continuing. And I think it got, like, a good 30-ish issues.
1: Well, because... So, I ha- I just had, like, a... My, my brain went, wait, what? Trying to place all the Captain Marvels. So we have the original Captain Marvel, Marvel. And then... yeah, Vel
0: is the last name of the family, so Mar yeah. is the dad. And then he's got um, uh, his son, Janice, and his daughter, Phyla. And so then does he's got... Janice take over right after? After or... Captain Marvel dies? No, no one is. Well, Monica Rambeau uh, yeah. takes on the name of Captain Marvel for the
1: 80s. Okay, so she was she was the much earlier one.
0: Yeah, and then in the 90s, um, I don't know Monica Rambeau's history well enough, but at some point she stops going by that name and and starts going by Photon, Mm -hmm. Um, and she becomes kind of a forgotten character, and that's around the time that the Genesvel story picks up. Gotcha. And um, at this point in the Marvel Universe, Genes is dead, Mar is dead, and Phyla is the one who would next carry the mantle, and there's going to be a lot of talk about that in, in stories to come, but as we know, Carol Danvers, who was... A close friend of Marvel takes the name, and again, there has never been a story about Phyla and Carol having like a confrontation about that.
1: Well, it seems like Phyla didn't really care. Like, like she she accepts the the title, but especially in this story, it seems like the mantle is not that important to her.
0: I, I'm gonna go ahead and say that the the real reason uh, we haven't seen a lot of those stories is like lingering homophobia. Because probably because the only if you include Phyla, you're going to include Moondragon and they're going to be a lesbian couple Um, because, again, like you were just saying, they're going to like visit the graves of one of their families. That's not something you do on a first date. Like they're married. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, they're in this relationship for the long haul and um when they did the guardians movie you will see that phyla and moon dragon are like integral founding members of the team and they're like huge to their identity and they just get completely written out and they got written out of the comics too they got uh, unceremoniously killed off in a pretty uh forgettable story and uh, more recently uh versions of them have been brought back but they're like their continuity is so fucked with that now we're doing a lot of uh repair emergency repair stories of uh, yeah. how badly we hurt. And that was all done with negligence of the movies not wanting to put a gay couple uh, front and center. I would go so far to venture.
1: Especially if wouldn't, Ike had anything to say about it.
0: Wouldn't st- uh, strain the credulity is all I'm saying, right? Yeah.
1: Yep. But to make a short story long, <laughs> Philovale stumbles on saying Thanos uh, has Moondragon telling Drax why Drax. Because Moondragon is Drax's daughter. the Heather... I'd... Yeah, which you we talked about
0: that you knew that right?
1: I had forgotten actually.
0: Oh well, that's gonna be a nice surprise for you. Yeah, that's she's Heather Douglas, daughter of Arthur, who used to play the sax before. Uh, the mentor of Titan uh, rebuilt him with the like bones of the Earth and turned him into the Destroyer. Obviously, obviously. So, but that means that Heather was also transformed. Yeah, she was actually rescued by Mentor, who raised her alongside Thanos and Eros on Titan. Um, and that's where she developed her psychic powers and stuff. But she was uh, raised on Titan in the Titan community with those ki- like, she's kind of like, um, the Theon Greyjoy to Thanos' Rob Stark for the one person who that reference was clarifying to. <laughs> uh, but I she, but she's we... like, she, she's Mentor's ward is my point. She, like, lives with them. Mm-hmm. She's being raised alongside of Thanos. Uh, she's, like, uh, living in that household, but, um... Is not blood related, and is basically a hostage. Also, in that's she's that's her a royal ro- hostage. Yeah, she's like a royal hostage, and and she's she's being used as a pawn to make Drax kill people because uh, Drax is was is easily manipulated. Yeah, just
1: just a little bit. Um, what did you think case... of Thanos
0: ripping off mm-hmm.
1: her fucking ear? Oh my god! Yeah, I just that was part of that that early two thousands needless violence that I did not need to see. I did not need can... that image of Thanos just being like, here, your ear.
0: <laughs> I, I can tell this is a little bit the difference of age between you and me because like, I can tell that this would like not fly in today's comics, but I'm like, oh, gross, that's pretty cool. He's ripping off her ear <laughs> and putting in a little box. I don't know. There's some like Edgelord 2000s part
1: of me who still thinks that's kind of fun. I actually didn't. So this, this was uh, like a, one of those video problem panels because I was like, did he rip off the ear or just the earring off the ear? Well, this is, how I, we way. Hmm? This is how I can tell you've never had your ears pierced. It's not fun either way.
0: This is how I can tell you've never had your ears pierced. It's not fun either way. No, if it's someone...
1: not fun either way. But like, I, it was—it's a very different thing to rip an earring out of an earlobe and then to rip the entire ear clean off of someone's head. <laughs> I actually I different prospects I kind of
0: like the level of violence with Thanos because it makes him really scary that every so often he um, strikes out at somebody around him usually a member of the uh, Douglas family so usually Moondragon or Drax
1: and he just doesn't Uh, care.
0: But he'll just like strike out with like a like, – because uh, in, in the Marvel movies, whatever one of the bad guys strikes out with violence, you know, it's like a big like laser goes and turns everybody into dust and you're like, oh, no. But the fact that Thanos is casually just like ripping off uh, ears and limbs and doing all sorts of crazy mind torture, I, I, like I'm thinking this guy is much scarier. <laughs> I, this was a Thanos I would not want to mess with.
1: Yeah. That is, that is, that is very accurate. So... Whereas
0: uh, Th- Thanos uh, – Josh Brolin Thanos, I would like uh, ask him for his salted melon recipe. He seems like a nice dad.
1: It's Farmer Thanos.
0: Yeah. Um, but Thanos has but, kidnapped uh, Moon Dragon, ripped off her ear. Cammy wants to keep the ear because she's weird and gross.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that scene. I didn't like her presence in that scene because I thought it was a really effective moment where Philovel is like, "You gotta, you gotta save her. You can't keep going on this vengeance quest." and, and Drax is like, just silent. And then we get this big panel, they're all brooding, Cammy's poking the ear, It's just fine. But then she just says, can I keep this? I'm like, I think that yeah. was the wrong choice to undercut the moment. Um, but I get why Giffen did it. Yeah, well, and that's what I'm talking about with this like, brilliant panel pacing,
0: right? Like these two big panels with the one tiny joke in the middle here. I guess if that was a stronger joke, it would work better. Yeah, and that's a uh, Giffen's dialogue is like pretty good, but I, when Abnett and Lanning take over, the dialogue uh, gets markedly a little bit better, I think. But like this pacing is perfect with the right joke there. That would have tot- that would have killed.
1: I think. It I would... think if she had just pocketed it,
0: I think yeah. that would have been better. I, that that would have been better. That's a little bit subtler, and I think would have yeah. been funnier. You could also tell that Giffen um, doesn't always trust uh, De video to do the heavy storytelling. There's like a lot of narrative captions.
1: Yeah. But then we get some more, you know, sitting and brooding and we get a the Council of Cree where they all kind of are just yelling at each other. And House Fierro's like, but we're merchants and we do good things with the war people. And Ronan's like, fuck all of you and kills them all.
0: Which I love. I love that they're at this war council meeting and then Ronan's just like, oh, you're all
1: cowards. Murders them next. <laughs> yeah. And Richard's like, dude, you can't just keep murdering people because you don't like them.
0: But he's like it his heart's not even help. in it. He he kind of agrees. He was just like, oh, but we needed those
1: guys. And then Ron like, we did not. And he's like, you're probably right. We didn't need them, but we would like to not lose everyone else.
0: And everyone's but, so everyone's so mean and snarky here. It's good. Yeah.
1: And then we get the the reintroduction of the final piece of those miniseries from before, Praximagora, and <laughs> Clert.
0: Yeah, and I'm happy to see them here. I actually, I think Praxigora's um, design is like weirdly stands apart. She's so much cartoonier than the rest of them. Super Scroll too is pretty cartoony.
1: Yeah, he's always been kind of cartoony.
0: Yeah, well, he's got, like stretchy powers, which never helps. Um, they end up not leaving such an impact on this overall story. They kind of show up and then they leave.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I don't know why they needed to be here. I guess there were like a couple moments that were. Pra, Praxigora really gets nothing to do. Uh, Clerk gets a few more things. Uh, Clerk and Ronan basically have have that bro tension the entire time. That's yeah. that's his role is to provide some some scroll tension because he's representative of well the scrolls have been basically destroyed.
0: Yeah, and I I like their wild. their odd couple pairing where um, yeah. they're historic enemies, but they they've met each other in battle so many times that they kind of respect each other and now they're forced to be like brothers in arms. That's that's like fun stuff. They don't do a lot with it, but no. it's there and it's fun.
1: It's there, and we get a recap of the, of the important bit of that Clerk Super Scroll series. Literally, it was two panels, and that was all that mattered. Um, <laughs> but then there's fu- dead. He's but in a. He's in a cask.
0: But then they're interrupted by the uh, arrival of Ravenous, and he's got with him uh, Terax the Tamer, uh, Pybok the Power Scroll, the Super Adaptoid, and what looks like a Click a Clack Bug Warrior. All infested with, like, mind-control centipedes.
1: Yeah. And the the bug warrior is named the delinquent, or also uh, uh, the the terrible infant, or l'enfant terrible. They don't actually call him French, but I thought that would be fun. Uh, I only know this because I looked at the—there was a data page in my—in the trade that told me his name and bit of his backstory— Otherwise, I would not have realized that when Ravenous said delinquent, he wasn't just insulting him. Um, it kind of works either way, actually, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm but, flipping through the,
0: for those data pages now.
1: Yeah, we get we get this cool splash page with Ravenous and his, his strange hound creatures with no eyes. And then we get the other side, and they're all posturing. And then we cut to Annihilus and Thanos kind of lording it over the captured uh, Silver Surfer and... Not a nihilist. Fuck. What's his name? Galactus. And they're yes. kind of just, and they're talking about how how they have to discover the biological application of a cosmic power, and you know, I love that kind of stuff. I love that bullshit.
0: This is where also we see uh, Galactus in his terrifying gear, and this is where I'm talking about with the video's design, where um, just this terrifying like bug torture machine where they're siphoning stuff out of Galactus with this weird freaky cosmic surgery equipment. Yeah. Um, but then with the arrival of Ravenous, with the arrival of Annihilus, with his big Galactus torture machine, like, the battle kicks off. And now and the a... whole... Th- yeah. yeah. Big pages, lots of violence, every other page is a splash page, uh, lots of introductions and yelling your name,
1: and yelling mm-hmm. the names of your powers. Oh, the introduction splash page I thought was really effective. It's... The kind of thing you can only do in comics. You've it's this big battle. It's really chaotic, but Giffen help. Giffen just drives your eye through through it. Corey Petit did a great job with the video. You mean? Hmm. The video. You mean? Well, the video too. But I I mean specifically with the dialogue. The dialogue drawing you from top to bottom in terms of the time. I see. I see. Yeah. But the splash page itself is. Epic, and thankfully every action is like clear and independent, and you don't feel like you're getting lost. Uh, I, for a modern example that didn't do this, it would be Empire. I always felt like I was lost, as much as totally. I like the artists on that book. I, uh, what yeah. this
0: has is this has really clear horizon lines and all the. Uh... Yeah. And, and vanishing points in all of the big splash pages where, like, if, all, if like, 50 guys are jumping, they don't look like they're jumping from every direction. They're all jumping from a point or to a point. So there's all these, like, uh, if I was to draw everybody's eye lines, it, they would all be parallel and facing similar directions. mm mm-hmm. um, And with yeah. Empire, that wasn't true at all. In Empire, they were going for maximum chaos, and every, nothing looked like a place. This, even though it's an alien planet, looks like a really real place. Yeah, it
1: looks like a place, and it looks like there are actions that then have consequences and it's all in one page it's not broken up into individual panels uh which it could have been like that would have been very effective and that would have worked but i think this communicated the order within the chaos of the battle and just being like this is the opening salvo of this of of the battle of of daedalus 5 in earnest uh good luck heroes you're gonna need it yeah
0: and then, it, like, the battle really kicks off. I don't—I mean, like, read the battle, you guys. It's, I, I think this is a great comic. Um, but, like, everyone is getting, like, their little highlight moments. People are—now go- that the bad guys have some faces on them, people are going up against bad guys. Some people are going up against faceless hordes. It's just like uh, Marvel movies eat these kinds of battles up now. But there's, like, a lot of guys that you could do a lot of violence on them. But there's some, like, big lieutenant guys, and they have faces and names.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there, and And every- everything's going to— Everything's going pretty peachy until the the big uh, the big bug shows up himself.
1: No, he doesn't show up. First, the centurions show up.
0: Yeah, well, the centurions uh, are, the, are who I'm calling the lieutenants, because you get, like, Drax cutting the guy open, and um, there's a bunch of cool shots
1: of, of Ronin uh, blasting at Ravenous. Yeah, and Terax being like, Please kill me. I hate these bugs. Um,
0: that's not the accent I pictured T-Rex with, but, like, I, I
1: can, <laughs> can kind of see it.
0: I love Terax, dude. I don't know why I love Terax. He's just a, he's a jerk, he's mean, and I like him. I don't know why.
1: I like incongruous voices with, uh, giant stone creatures.
0: Yeah, no, that already got, uh, got under my skin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should, we should take a break to let you, uh, recover from my horrible accents. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll, uh. I'll talk more after the break Boop. this is the break song we are an hour
0: in how that noise work for me um
1: nope. yeah i don't think we have,
0: we don't need to go like page by page for each of these issues because no cause but i gonna feel gonna like, like this
1: first this first have had just so much on each set of pages yeah and that's not gonna slow up no <laughs> so
0: but like a uh, big battle happens and then we can pick up uh kind of towards the end of the battle i think
1: cuz they, yeah. they lose. Yeah. But then we Although, get we get like shot, we get what's kind of important is like the Galactus. The, we get the the Annihilus threads and we get the battle. The battle doesn't really we don't need to break down the battle. Even though yeah. I think there are a bunch of fun things that happen in the battle. But yeah. I think we should probably touch on what's going on with Annihilus and Thanos and cuz I found that stuff really interesting. I was like, oh, oh like, like the breakdown of what the Power Cosmic is, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, welcome us back in. I'm eager to go. All right. And welcome back. We are returning from our quick break. Listen to some great ads we've recovered and are ready to break down more of Annihilation, which is just this thing is nonstop for six issues. And I don't want to say it's the longest thing I've ever read, but reading it, it's so dense. There's a lot that happens in it. so I'm, I'm really gratified because I,
0: I know that the first parts of this aren't as exciting as this. But I was like a little nervous that I, maybe I would oversold it or anything. But no, this is exactly you nerd out for these big, dense, lots of moving parts, lots of
1: motivations, uh, space fights. Yeah, it's it's the big space opera. And this is kind of the culmination of it, sort of. We'll get into why it's sort of later, but yeah, it's a lot of battles. A lot of these intricate pieces being moved around and, and whatnot. Like in the middle of the battle, we get, we cut away to Annihilus and Thanos just talking about, well, why, why was Thanos having trouble with, uh, making, getting the biological application of cosmic power? And he's like, well, because the cosmic power is not biological. And I was like, What? Like that kind of stuff? I eat that stuff up. Annihilus. Yeah. Annihilus doesn't give a shit. He's just like, I want my power and I want it now. And Thanos is like, but do you know the applications? And whatever. He turns Galactus into basically the Death Star.
0: That's what I have in my
1: notes too. I said Galactus
0: is basically a Death Star. Yeah. Um, and I think that Giffen does this sci-fi stuff really well. Whenever he's talking about, like, ancient Marvel gods and what this power was in the universe before the Big Bang, I perk up. I think he writes that stuff so fun.
1: Yeah. And he makes he makes it clear without getting too stuck in, like, technical jargon, which could bog it all down. But he keeps it enough so you feel the kind of, like, the mystery of it. Well, it feels nice.
0: like uh, where science and mysticism become one thing.
1: yeah. Uh, which is what but, Galactus
0: should feel like. It's like a great tone for writing a Galactus story.
1: Yeah. And the Battle of Daedalus V rages on. In the middle of it, Clert survives, comes back to life somehow when. And nobody's the really sure. Up. Yeah, he gets rebooted
0: by the explosion.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he gets a brand new shirt. Oh, yeah, he does get a brand new shirt. Uh, but uh, but he saves Ronin and Fire Lord. And then... But the, battle, the battle's not going so great. Well, they got a and... Death Star Galactus. This is true, but even before they knew that there was a Death Star Galactus, the battle was not going great, and they ordered a retreat, and they were able well, they were to like,
0: escape. They were like, losing the War of Attrition, and then the bad guys brought a Death Star to a War of Attrition, and they're just like, uh-oh. And yeah. also, they they lose Redshift and Stardust, who are two of their uh, heaviest hitters. And I love Stardust. Look, and I hate Redshift. Look, Redshift is the stupidest of the Heralds. Well, he's dead now. Uh, yeah, I guess I shouldn't speak ill of the dead.
1: He's dead now. Poor Redshift. Uh you know that line where is like where uh, Richard can't remember Redshift's name? Which Yeah excellent line. Like that was some great maudlin like space angst. Sure, yeah, yeah I yeah. also could not remember Redshift's name in my notes. Oh man, so uh when he first appeared. Life. I wrote I think I wrote uh No, I wrote Redshift, but I could not remember the name and I was like Red. 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 Red? Red. I had to scroll back up to find him. But speaking of things having major
0: shifts, um, the tide of the battle goes very poorly, and basically they have to do a full retreat as the Annihilation Wave like just eats Daedalus V.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And Drax stays behind to murder some bugs, and leaving Cammy to do basically the only other thing she seems to be good at in the series, which is yelling Drax's name uh, and being like, no, let me be with him. Still Drax jumping into that horde of bugs is pretty cool, huh? Oh yeah. Like it's a cool moment. And it's also, I think it is a good payoff of earlier in the series where he and Richard are fighting over who gets to get, do the noble sacrifice. And here he gets to do the noble sacrifice instead of rich. Yeah.
0: And rich has to leave him because he's more important to the war effort.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also
0: the big shot of uh, the Galact- sad. There's the big Galactus beam blowing up Daedalus 5, and it looks cool. What a cool page. With the uh, blur effect of the laser like shooting past the ships and
1: uh, like phasing them out of reality. Yeah, it really it conveys the power and the speed of this thing. Instead Love of you know it. like the slow wind up. It's just like, no, it's just gonna fuck this planet up. Um, goodbye, m- uh
0: not as big a fan of um, Star-Lord's matching green pajamas are a bad look and Gamora's no pants is like, maybe Star-Lord should give Gamora his pants and then
1: those two outfits would look a lot better. I mean, you can't... I don't think anyone has a good look in any of these.
0: I kind of like... It's a little bit early 2000s spiky, but I like a Nova's uh, look.
1: I guess. I, I think they all kind of just look... Other than Annihilus, Annihilus is killing it, and Thanos is here in his like monk robes or something. Yeah, he's got but, real potato sack problems. Yeah. yeah, but everyone else, it's functional and it fits the role. But like none of them, no one's, no one's pulling a full Hirohiko uh, Araki and blowing us away with fashion. Um, but oh man, I would read that Guardians comic. Oh, so would I, in a heartbeat. But they lose the battle, which is a surprise. But yeah, shouldn't they'll... be. Lines the are shattered. Point
0: Army is routed. And uh, basically, but it's, it's like worse than losing the battle. This is kind of the turning point in the whole war because um, everyone's going their separate ways now. This was like their last united yeah. stand. And, and they've been uh,
1: fighting on Daedalus for a week before the Centurions showed up. Yeah. And went to shit. And they've been fighting the war for six months before
0: that, some yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, But now they're all kind of going back on their missions, and you don't check in with, like, any of the grunt soldiers, but, yeah, they're just, like, trying to figure out where to go next. Most of them have—their planets have been destroyed. So Ronan is like, you know what, I can't win this war, but at least I can um, get revenge on House Fierro and, like, figure out the Kree political situation in my last moments. And he decides to go back to uh, Hala, the Kree uh, homeworld. And then Super Scroll is just like, hey, I've been alive for approximately 10 minutes, have nothing better to do, and I'm madly in love with you. Like, can I tag along? And Ronan's like, fine, don't put your feet on my dashboard, though. He
1: had a, that's great, kind of- he had a great line there where Ronan walks by, Praxagor is like, does he not want us? And Clert already understanding who what Ronan is all about, is like, just wait for it. Ron's like, aren't you coming? Oh, yeah. They're incredibly in love. It's it's like perfect stuff. Also,
0: I love Ronan and Richard because Ronan's just been murdering everybody who shows characters for like a, a half a second. And then he tells Richard that were he Cree, he would call him brother. And you're like, oh, yeah, you sold that.
1: Yeah. Even though they did a retreat, they understood. Like, he didn't yeah. love it, but. Yeah,
0: but, they, but they, that's how deeply he respects Richard. Uh, and you know how important respect is to him because if he does, if you don't have his respect, he'll fucking hammer you with his big hammer.
1: Yeah, he'll murder you with his lightning hammer, his big magic beam hammer.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I think that brings us that Annihilation Day battle, which uh we pick up with Annihilation Day plus two eight two hundred eighteen.
1: Mhm. About a week after the loss at Daedalus Five, Drax is just on the planet murdering bugs thinking about murdering thanos he's basically been fighting non-stop for that entire time finds a ship and then he's off and we cut back to annihilus being mad that he doesn't get all of the power cosmic because he's yeah. a little baby
0: i wrote in my notes drax cuts an insane swath of destruction and then i wrote oh i guess that's why they call him that
1: <laughs> remember he killed what a few million allegedly scrolls uh, yeah i tens of thousands i think they said
0: um I also kind of <laughs> I just like that uh, Drax was like fighting in the war, but if they had like cut him loose and were like Drax, just go kill people until you kill the bosses of the war, you actually be like okay, and then he could just do it. <laughs> like that—that should have been their start, they their plan from the start.
1: Yeah, but if you t- if they take out Drax, like one one good hit, you got to keep him in reserve. He's their secret weapon.
0: Yeah, but it turns out that you just uh, you were saving your secret weapon when you should have just thrown him at Annihilus and Thanos because Drax basically the. the Drax more or less wins the war for everybody. He creates the circumstances under which the war could be uh, won just by like stabbing people for weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, he does kill a lot of bugs. Um, and then and then he manages to steal a ship, which I've, I, I, his face when he steals the ship, priceless, priceless. With the- uh, when he's like Thanos
0: is my destiny, and he like just yeah. narrows his eyes and looks super sexy with his cool gladiator armor and his tattoos. Yeah, man, this is a cool version of Drax. I
1: hey, I like I like Dave Bautista.
0: I, he's I'm saying Dave Drax. Batista plays this version of Drax more or less. Yeah. Um, as opposed a little to sparkier. like yeah, as opposed to funnier. like the swollen, dumb Hulk speak Drax from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, a little bit. I, I like this much better.
1: Well, Thanos is playing his long game, and I—I I don't know—he takes some time to make Moon Dragon suffer. Which yeah, he's all he, right,
0: cool. He likes—he's uh, explaining his evil plans to her, but he also like uh, flayed her arm and covered it with like uh, yes. torture maggots.
1: Yeah. Well, he didn't do the torture maggots. That was Annihilus.
0: I'm—I'm sure Annihilus provided the torture maggots, but
1: like uh, Thanos seems real excited about the torture maggots. I think he's just excited about anything that can torture anyone from the, from anywhere, actually. He just really likes torture.
0: Yeah, he's, like, enthusiastic and takes yeah. pride in his work. Um, I have been enjoying some classic Star Trek stuff recently, mm-hmm. and uh, while the torture maggots are super gross, they remind me of the eels in Wrath of Khan, the, the, the mind-control eels that they stick in uh, Chekhov's <laughs> ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, like, I don't know, sometimes mm-hmm. I like a, a gross sci-fi monster torture thing i just think yeah. like uh sometimes people's imaginations are fucked up and i like seeing what depraved shit's in there
1: yeah it's also important to know that this is taking place at the same time as civil war oh my god which so I, I yeah uh, yeah the, i, I oh, when i got that realization when they had that scene i was like oh my god i can't believe that civil war made this scene possible there was something good that came out of civil war it's like my... the perfect explanation for why no one even knows about the annihilation wave on Earth.
0: Oh, fantastic! And we'll
1: talk about that a lot more at
0: the end, but um, I, yeah, Richard and Peter can't ask Earth heroes for help because civil war is happening. That comic sucks, but weirdly, the one thing that it made better was this. Yeah, it's just it's wild. Yeah, uh, it's so good. What it's like a great excuse of why they don't, uh, why the heroes of Earth don't care, and we'll we'll check out that in a second. But I love that Richard's like heard of civil war. He's like. Oh, that comic sucks. Let's not go there, Star-Lord. And Star-Lord's just like, yeah, our comic's much better. Let's fight up a much better <laughs> war than that one. And then they just don't go to the Civil War. Which is why Star-Lord's
1: not in that shitty comic. Thanks, Star-Lord. Thanks, Star-Lord. You, you saved us. You saved us from from being a tie-in to that horrible comic. But, yeah, so we get some more battles. We get some more Gur-Arg. Uh, and it's Drax just a stuff. swath of destruction being carved by Drax until eventually he finds his way back to Thanos. Oh, and we find out what An- uh, Annihilus' actual deal is. which Right, which I uh, uh, I jumped the gun
0: on that a little bit. But Annihilus wants Galactus's power cosmic, which is a simple villain goal, but I think really effective for him in that he's just all about consuming everything like a locust, and
1: that's like the tastiest thing in the galaxy. Yeah, but... It, it's framed like a twist, but it didn't feel all that different in that he wants to destroy everything. Cool. Oh, he also wants to destroy everything in the negative zone. I'm like, why is that a functional difference? He already basically is the conqueror of the negative zone.
0: I guess that kind Once of he's makes sense. Once
1: murdered everything in this universe, or this side of the universe, and reclaimed it and stolen his power, what's the difference between that and then also being super overlord of... The negative zone and having the entire negative zone be devoured
0: um well i I guess it's that it seems like a nihilist is like a nationalist or a patriot and he's fighting for his kingdom or whatever but no actually he's like thanos he um which i guess what makes nihilist interesting here is he's got people who think he's like really great because they're a hive of bugs and he's their overlord yeah um, but like they can talk and stuff. There's comics where people talk to negative to and we, and we meet the negative zone bugs that you can talk to in this, and they seem to love Annihilus. But uh, they don't seem to understand or they just don't care that Annihilus does no regard for them. He's true to his name. He's like nihilistically uh, trying to just kill everything and everyone.
1: Yeah.
0: And ru- And uh, and that's like a fun. It's like two. It's like if Doctor Doom it turns out was secretly Thanos. <laughs> right. Okay. Like he, he gets, yeah. like, both of those things. He he seems like a benevolent ruler of an evil nation, but no, it turns out that um, he's actually fucking over his people, too.
1: Yeah. Which was honestly very apparent for me from the start. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's not like, a shocker. It's not
1: really hidden from the audience, but it is a shock for the characters. It's a great reveal, too. I really like the way they did the telepathic info dump.
0: Yeah, and that's, I think, I think Thanos, obviously, if you haven't gotten this uh, comic, Thanos loves having a captive audience to monologue his evil plans to. He's a classicist that way.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And Screet was obviously not cutting it because Screet's the worst. So, uh, he kidnapped Moondragon, and Moondragon's great company, right? Like, uh, she's really clever, and she's always she trying to kill you.
1: And yeah, she she's him. Yeah, she
0: plays all these mind games with him, and he yeah. loves that. That's what he wanted from Screed the whole time. That's why he had to go kidnap Moondragon. She's so much better at being your, like, weird antagonistic captive. Yeah. I but... really love the panel, too. I love when, like, Thanos is big and strong, and the movie, that's one thing the movies did a very good job of conveying, but the comics often have him as, like, a mastermind on, like, a throne somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I really like. There's the panel where he just picks up Moon Dragon, and his like his hand is as big as her entire upper half, and he just like picks her up by the torso and just like waves her by one hand in the air, and yeah, you're just he's, like, "Oh, Thanos
1: is really big. He's so big." And then he just makes her vomit bugs. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. that's
0: gross. Yeah, all of this is horrifying and gross and awesome. I am so and pro.
1: I, yeah. But then it culminates in the battle between green and purple. Drax and Thanos. Who will win? It's Drax, pretty anticlimactically. But also, Giffen uses these splash pages in such interesting ways. Like, there's supposed to be these big, epic things. And they are, but he always, like... They're always undersold, and most of the time it works. Like, Thanos having his still-beating heart ripped out of his chest by Drax, and him just going... Dot dot dot. Interesting. Love that. Had it of that panel. Great. Gr- great.
0: And that's that's where the ultraviolence like really works in the favor because that like uh that understated reaction with that over the top murder of Thanos is you're just like um, wow. This isn't him crumbling to CGI dust at the end of the movie. This is like Thanos
1: just got ki- iced. Yeah, and it and it sells also kind of the importance of the moment. It's like it should be triumphant, but it isn't because we know that he's the only one that can release galactus without some bullshit failsafe going off uh well, and...
0: how would you read the the sound effect of drax pulling thanos's heart through the, his back Ugh. i got a <laughs> Is what it yeah. looks like to me yeah. um kind of great the, sound the... effect
1: i know exactly the sound too oh yeah uh yeah uh it's a, it's gross. a
0: very goopy yeah, very goopy. And I'm so happy. Drax is the Destroyer. It's his destiny to kill Thanos. That's his whole thing. And he gets to. Yeah. And he just gets to uh, do it before the end of the series. Yeah, the comic's not even over. But in the MCU at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 1, he vowed to kill Thanos, never mentioned it again, and then Iron Man kills Thanos. Poor Drax. Never yeah, I just think—I liked also that Thanos is clearly the like endgame big bad guy for— this comic so it's cool that Drax kills him halfway through it you know and that um, Drax was proven to be like not the heaviest hitter or smartest guy Drax is like real middling as these space heroes go but his job is to kill Thanos and he can do it yep I'll also tell you that so there are other comics later that talk about Drax shouldn't be able to kill Thanos. He shouldn't be strong enough. But you'll see in the artwork in this fight when he gets nearer to Thanos, he gets surrounded by this like green aura, and Thanos gets this purple aura that that, his, that Drax is like uh, exercising. Mm-hmm. But this is that like weird cosmic Drax was rebuilt of the dirt of the, and the soil of the earth by Mentor uh, Thanos's father, mythic stuff. Yeah, Drax he was literally is literally built to kill Thanos. Yeah, he's not strong enough to like to punch Thanos or anything. That's like Superman versus Batman stuff. But like mystically, because it's his destiny, he uh, only is strong enough to kill Thanos, and otherwise, he doesn't have super strength.
1: Yep, I
0: think that's neat. That's like it I, is I very neat. I, the the way the co- the the high cosmic and like the low petty interpersonal drama stuff interacts is like really a good flavor for me here because. Um, all, th- this feels like it's part of, like, the Silver Surfer, Aegis and Tenebris
1: uh, ancient
0: cosmic god destiny stuff. Yeah. But then, And they like... don't
1: really dwell on it too much either. So we do that, and then it's right, r- straight up to Heather going, you do know we need to stop the destruction of the universe, right? And he's like, but I had to kill Thanos. Yeah, get... <laughs> what do you expect me to do? Not what kill Thanos? What do you Thanos? expect me to do? Not kill Thanos? No. And so he jumps down and Breaks the Silver Surfer free, so that the Silver Surfer can absorb the thing. You know, you, you you find a way. You get you use your Moon logic, and then eventually Galactus is free.
0: This is actually one beat where um, I like it in the story. I just think Moon Dragon comes out looking like a real dummy. Yeah, she's, she's really uh, his, like histrionic about it. She's just like, we need to, you killed Thanos, and now we're all doomed, and the universe is doomed. Uh, and then Drax is like, why? And she's like, because he's the only one who knew how to like let out Galactus. And he's like, oh. You mean like this? And then he just, like, pulls out a bunch of wires and Galactus is like, I have awakened! And it wasn't hard at all.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think this is kind of where Given may have failed a little bit in the writing. He doesn't sufficiently establish what exactly it was. And, and a, in a comic that is as detailed-focused as it is, this is a big problem. Th- what exactly it was, Thanos, was what the failsafe was? Like, what, what was so important that Thanos was needed to do it did he know the secret code was it keyed to his life signature no it's literally just he had the power to be able to do it and you need someone equally as powerful but that's never really established and and she also like implies that maybe he had some like secret backup where if someone just rips Galactus out which you know maybe you could do or rips the console out without putting in the right amount of power Galactus will like explode or something
0: but no, Dang, Galactus. Yeah, the entire
1: universe, but like, it's never really clear what it is until the scene where you actually have to have Galactus free, and then they're like, "Oh, you just needed the power," and and Surfer has enough of the Power Cosmic, and so Drax just punches through his Power Cosmic egg and frees him.
0: I do like that uh, Moon Dragon's uh, attitude for this entire scene is like, "But Dad, <laughs> you're gonna destroy the whole
1: universe." <laughs> I, I just really can relate to that. Um, yeah. but then mean, we get some more, uh, more fighting. We get Blastar. Yeah, I was about to say, we're not gonna skim over my boy Blastar, no, right? Motherfucking Blaster! not blastar. Do you
0: like that. Did you know how much I love Blastar? So much.
1: But he's here for three pages.
0: That's okay. We're setting up some really excellent Blastar stuff down the line here. Um, Blastar.
1: Blastar, if you please?
0: Have I showed you those panels? I love them. We'll okay, that's later in the series. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Blastar, if you guys don't know, is, like, an awesome big yeti. He's from the Negative Zone, but he's, like, a real minor Negative Zone warlord. And his superpower is that both his fists are also cannons that can just, like, shoot fire, I guess. They blast. And his name is Blastar. He's awesome. He's great. And for some reason, he's just, like, not down with all this. So he joins up with uh, Nova and Star-Lord and Phylovel to um just, like, mess up Annihilus's forces because he's Blastar. I love him. Yeah. Their entire strategy has changed at this point to, um, they're all about assassination now, and they are just trying to get all their big hitters to find Annihilus to take him down. Um, and everything's about to come back together, but there's one last thread to check in on, and that is Kalert and Ronin
1: on Hala, right? Yeah, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. They just fight their way into the throne room and murder the entire House Fiero, and Ronin becomes king of all the Kree? Because he also kills the Supreme Intelligence, but the Supreme Intelligence was basically dead already. Well, this, you I, He has this whole, like, super dramatic and very angsty moment with the Supreme Intelligence, who used to rule the Kree.
0: Well, yeah, you're, you're skimming over a little bit, because I think this was—for uh, me, at least, this was pretty emotionally resonant, which is that um, he shows up. It turns out House Fiero, as—this isn't shocking, but uh, they're a bunch of feckless collaborators— and it's unclear when they started working with Annihilus, but they're, like, pretty happy for Annihilus' invasion. They're pretty pro. They're ready to sell the Kree out to him. Uh, so and kills them all, which is, like, not a change for him. He's been killing House Fiyero guys since issue one. Yeah. Um, But uh, he does get to say his amazing catchphrase, which is, You stand accused of crimes against the Kree Empire. Know that you have been judged and found guilty. And then he starts blowing everybody away with his cool hammer, and I love that. And it also turns out that the uh, that House Fiero has been... Po- uh, that Ravenous is on Hala. So, like, they've sold it out so much that the enemy is on the homeworld. And that they poisoned the Supreme Intelligence, which, if any, you know anything about the Kree, is, like, the most no-no thing in their culture. The Kree are all about having a Supreme Intelligence that they all listen to. And they all hope to be added to the Supreme Intelligence one day. And so, like, the fact that Fiero sold him out is, like incredibly monstrous by Cree culture and the fact that Ronin Mercy killed him is unthinkable uh, and like a huge change for him. I think that th- this is like a huge Ronin moment and the fact that this gets him uh, elevated to emperor, to like a reluctant emperor is a great new status quo for him.
1: Yeah, and he definitely doesn't seem like he enjoyed any of it except maybe killing of the House Fierro people but even so, he's just like, this is not right in any any moment but he gets this great, great, Panel where he just smashes Ravenous over the head and he breaks his hammer.
0: Yeah, and Ravenous's his head. Next time we yeah, see Ravenous, Ravenous, he does not have head. a whole head.
1: Yeah, I was I was very confused when we cut to later and he's got this panel. I'm like, how did he escape? Why wouldn't Ronan lock him up? But he was too busy mourning the Supreme Intelligence, so I give him. I'm a actually. Pass.
0: Um, he beams away. There's a panel of him beaming.
1: It yeah, it's 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 quick, but it's in. Oh Seems. yeah, he he does start glow- glowing. Um he does. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's That's a, one of those cluttered
0: blinking you miss it type things. Yeah, which uh, this comic is a little guilty of even though I think that the art work is pretty well-paced. Sometimes it's a little chaotic.
1: Yeah. I think that was that was still a good moment. But a
0: fantastic moment. And that's also yeah. so Ronin and the leadership of the Cree and what is Cree culture going to look like moving forward after this annihilation war? is pretty much the spine of the rest of the series. Like uh, the, the Kree, Ronan pulling the Kree out of the Annihilation War is kind of the background plot, like uh, the, the meta plot for everything else. Gotcha. Which is great, like uh, yeah. great setup. And yeah. this is, I love, um, and something that I feel like is lacking in some contemporary Guardians comics, is I love that there's an interesting political status quo, and now they're going to sit with it and consider it and play with it for a while.
1: It's not like something happens and that's immediately undone or changed and something else happens immediately undone and changed and then Thanos wins and... Precisely. Um,
0: but jumping ahead to Annihilation Day... <laughs> Please save me from my thoughts. I know, right? Uh, jumping ahead to Annihilation Day plus 222, 222 days since this thing started. Silver Circular and Galactus are now free um, and uh, looking amazing. Just a... Uh, uh Drax it, for freeing Galactus uh, begs him to send Moondragon to safety and the two of them just like get teleported in a great little art sequence to some uninhabited planet
1: and then Galactus is pissed off and sends sends the silver surfer and just starts destroying and kind of in the background of of all of this is that uh the our our intrepid crew of Richard Peter and uh, Phyla. Phyla uh, are porting around on their little, like, you know, dinky little teleporter with a 60 40 chance of being completely vapor Or 40 60 chance of just dying. Uh, but th- but they left Cami behind?
0: Yeah, they. I, <laughs> I um, what I, I read in my notes that, um, they, um,. I was just tracking which of the crew was getting around, so I I say uh, Richard decides to keep fighting. It's a guerrilla war now. Peter Quill will never leave his side. Philovel joins them as well. Gamora is enthusiastic about battling with them, and let's be real, she loves to shack up with Rick. Uh, They can't ditch Cammy, so she comes along with them too. And then uh, my next note says, they ditch Cammy six days later on some moon.
1: Yeah, which seems very unceremonious. And also, how did they control the teleporter to make sure she didn't teleport? I don't really care. Yeah, poor you were Cammy. I feel bad for, for Cammy in that scene.
0: You're waiting for them to, for them to ditch Cammy this whole time. Yeah,
1: but they they had she had no reason or, or she would not have survived if she had ported with them to wherever they were going. But also, poor Cam, she's just stranded on a moon and without even Drax. She has um, no
0: friends. Well we'll check in with what happens to Cammy in uh one moment, actually, because yeah. uh Yeah Um uh, because now uh, we are pretty much at the final battle of this. So um, Nova, Star-Lord, and Phyla show up to one of those patented Marvel floating space rubbles. Gotta love them. Um, Gotta love them. Now that I'm looking, actually, these are the uh, ruins of, uh, of the Armada, of Annihilus' bug fleets. These are like the carapaces. Yeah, because I think he
1: blew up the entire fleet because they, didn't, they weren't doing whatever he wanted fast enough good enough. Or whatever. Oh no, because Hala literally fires their buildings into space to take yeah. out bits of the fleet.
0: Combined with the uh, the big Galactus attack, they say that yeah. like uh, it's almost half of his forces have been in that one strike just decimated. Yeah. Um, and Richard is now like throwing down with Nihilus, which he did at the beginning of the series and got his ass handed to him. But you know he's a, a veteran of the Annihilation War now. And uh, he's, like, learned a lot. He's had all these great friends and mentors. And he's holding his own. And it's just, like, an awesome drag-out fight that I imagine somebody
1: who really loves the design of Annihilus I had a great time with. I did have a great time with this. It was a fantastic fight. Uh, even though when we did all the of the Vale stuff, I'm like, okay, the, the bands can choose her? We'll get more okay. on that in the, in the next, uh, next, in next episode, actually, is where we'll pick up on that. Yeah. But... Uh, Putting that aside, the whole battle was great, and I think focusing on it was the right move. It was... I mean, obviously we had to because it's Annihilus. But then, I mean, uh, I I didn't care for the end of the fight, only because did we really need to see the Mortal Kombat guts rip off in this two-page spread? I was like, that's that patented 2000s ultra-violence I don't know if it worked as well as the death of Thanos. Um,
0: I liked it too. It's super gross. You're so right that it's Mortal Kombat. Love me some Mortal Kombat. I will, by the time this episode comes out, I will have seen my new favorite movie, which is the new Mortal Kombat live action movie. Oh my God. Um, That's out. Come, we'll be out by the time this episode drops in a couple weeks. Um, Oh my but God. the but Richard ripping out Annihilus' spine from the inside or whatever that is I don't think he has a uh, spine it's his
1: guts it's his alien spine gut because th- he's because he's got a chitinous exoskeleton he's a bug he and doesn't yeah, well... have a spine. That shows what I know.
0: But yeah, I realized uh, I realized my mistake, but he, and he shouts, "This is for Novacore. And that's become actually like a big panel for Richard Ryder. Uh, he was a playable character in Marvel vs Capcom 3, and uh, that was one of his like uh, ending the fight animations is he would shout that and then fly off into space. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so was, this is become like a big moment the, 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 this is for Novacore moment became like pretty big and defining for him. And even though it is gross, I like the emotional beat because yes. it really uh, you feel and you can tell that he can feel how far he's come since all of Novacore was wiped out and he's gotten his revenge now and this whole war was like about revenge for him and now that he's got it, he's got to figure out what comes next and that's and that's the story
1: right yeah Pretty much yeah and, and we pick that up later in his own Well, ongoing. Kind Before of, we get there,
0: though, of. I want to do, uh, like, an end of Animal House thing where we just check up, check in on everybody.
1: Yeah, when we will be folding in the Heralds of Galactus stuff here, too, because uh, not much happens in those issues, honestly.
0: Yeah, I have a couple of th- things I want to mention about them, but uh, really quick, just running down, um, Annihilus gets his guts ripped out, and while Nova's passing out, he looks over his shoulder and whispers, Better luck next time to uh, Thanos and Lady Death who um, seem like they're united together now that Thanos is dead. He is with his, his lady love.
1: Thanos looks so stupid in that robe. I love
0: it. Um, he looks stupid, but he looks stupid all the time, so that's not like a huge change for
1: him. <laughs> it's um, like he's cosplaying his death.
0: But we jump ahead to Annihilation Day plus 268, which is Armistice Day, so this is the day of the, at the end of the war. It was a little less than an Earth year. Um... So, uh, Nova, Richard Ryder is recovering in a Cree hospital, and Star Alert is by his side. and they like share- are sharing a laugh together. You get the feeling that these guys are gonna stay friends and that, um, they're while uh, traumatized and messed up, they're happy to have survived and they're gonna be able to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, Ravenous signs a peace treaty with um with Ronin, who's now representing like the pol- the political forces of the galaxy, I guess. And what blows my mind is not only does Ravenous get to keep a bunch of the conquered planets as part of the peace treaty, he gets uh, Krelar, the homeworld of the
1: Kree. Yeah, and he gets the entirety of Skrull space. And the entirety of Skrull space. Yeah.
0: So that just seems a-
1: ridiculous, considering how destroyed they just were. But I guess, but as as is kind of explained, there there's still that lingering fear and like you kind of want wars to end it's nice to not have them go on for 20 years for no reason yeah and we're gonna
0: pick up um ravenous will remain a character and we're gonna pick up on a little bit of that but um i would have loved to see more of that political situation of these negative zone bugs just occupying these old scroll planets i feel like there's a great story to be told there that never did anyway uh super scroll and praxagora are gone into the wind and um, I might be a little bit wrong, but that's pretty much it for them for a while. They, um, they're not really a big part of this larger saga. So they came in, weren't that relevant, blew some stuff up, and then just fucked off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'd... I'm um, okay with that. I didn't... It's yeah, not like it's any great loss. I don't need them around. Um,
0: Drax the Destroyer, however, is also missing, and that's a little bit more interesting because um, he... We don't. Uh, we don't know where. Uh, does it say? It, it just says uh, Drax is.
1: No, Moon, Moon dragon. comes and reports that Drax is gone. She woke up and he was gone. She doesn't know where he went, and that's kind of mysterious. And I, I, I'd be worried if Drax didn't show up again. But that feels like he's going to try and figure out what, you know, what is he going to do now? The war is over. Thanos is dead, and he, kind of probably, hurt his relationship with his daughter.
0: Yeah. No, definitely, and uh, and he's kind of uh, purposeless. He's rudderless now. Yeah. Uh, Moondragon and Phyla found themselves on, like, a beautiful savanna planet where presumably they're just going to, like, have a lot of psychic sex and, like, eat fruit. I don't know. Uh, they look like they're on a nice vacation.
1: Uh, what's a vacation?
0: Yeah, great point. Um, but what we see for, like, two little panels at the bottom of this page— is that Cammy ended up finding her way to a planet, meeting up with Screet of all people, and then she kind of disappears into a marketplace.
1: Yeah, uh, I wrote Cammy and Screet together, a match made in hell.
0: Yeah, seriously. Now we actually will not see Cammy. Uh, uh, she'll be mentioned, there'll be some allusions to her, but like this is the last time we're going to see Cammy in this in this run. Seriously. The next this, place she's going to show up, though, is very interesting. Is in a series that you know I love, um, Dennis Hopeless Halem's uh, Avengers Arena, and in that we get a flashback where it turns out that Cammy, after this event, after the her surviving the war, becomes like a spaceship hijacker, and she she hot wires spaceships and she sells them to hot to like uh, chop shops, and but she so eventually
1: Doctor Afra, but without the degree.
0: Yeah, kind of. She's, she's got, like, a real, like, Grand Theft Auto vibe, too. She's got, like, a real, like, a Beavis and Butthead sense of humor. And uh, she's Jack's cars, except they're ships. And Abigail Brand captures her for sword and um, trying to steal a sword ship. And that's how she gets back to Earth. Is hmm. She's in sword custody.
1: Oh, man. And she she's been she really couple... didn't get a lot to do then. Damn. No,
0: but she's been in a couple of fun comics since then. And she's got, like, a jetpack and some ray guns, and she's just, like, a, a cool girl criminal from space. Well,
1: that's exciting.
0: I, I don't need there to be, like, a cami ongoing series, but I like that she could, yeah. like, show up in, like, a Nova comic or, like, Carol Danvers could bump into her on some planet and get pickpocketed, whatever.
1: Yeah. And then we basically get a... Uh... A brief shot of, and then there were a bunch of other people we don't really care about right now that fucked off into the far reaches of space.
0: Until we see what Ravenous is doing on Krelar, and he, um, takes an alien from, uh, they do a very, uh, violent uh, insectoid C-section and they pull a gross little larva out and he holds it up like a, a disgusting Simba from the Lion King and yells, the Lord Annihilus lives! And that's the cliffhanger is that, um, a new Annihilus has been hatched, and he's been reincarnated. Um, Do you know the next time we're going to see Annihilus?
1: I do not, but I do know that that was on day 277 of... Because it's Armistice Day plus nine. So 277 days after Annihilus first broke through into the positive zone.
0: Happy new birthday, Annihilus. Um, Annihilus is next going to show up in Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four and he's going to um kill Johnny Storm.
1: Wait, Annihilus doesn't even doesn't play into this anymore or there's he, more I Anni- or that's like concurrent.
0: Uh he's a baby now. He he's not going to be a full adult until after this whole runs over. That's a good point. And then Peter Parker teaches him how to poop in a toilet. <laughs> I swear to you this happens. Oh my god. He becomes that's... a P-
1: Peter and Johnny's roommate in Manhattan for a while. Oh my god, that's a, that's amazing. Yeah, Marvel Comics is good. Is my thing. Sometimes. All right, so walk us through the Heralds of Galactus. So we get four short stories across two issues, basically being like, what were these four doing after the end of the the battle on Daedalus V? Yeah, Um, so we got four stories. Or actually, technically, after the death of uh, Annihilus and uh, Thanos.
0: So our first story is about Terax, Terax the Tamer. Um, It's written by Christos Gage, and I guess I should give credits... For all of these as I go. So it's written by Christos Gage uh, with art by Giuseppe Camancholi, inks by Stefano Landini, colored by June Chung and lettered by uh, VC Corey Petit. So I just gotta say, I, I said at the top of this episode, I really like Christos Gage. This story in particular is like kind of a lot of nothing. It's just uh, Terax goes down to a planet that's been affected by the war and he gets into a fight with some of the uh, bugs war- that are left over, some
1: warlords. Yeah. Chandra uh, shows up, she dies. Yeah, you
0: do. Um, but I really got to give a big call out to my boy, uh, yeah, Guseppe Guise- Cole, who's an artist I really love. I particularly love his work on Darth Vader, which he did with Charles Soule, which I think is the best of all of the Marvel Star Wars comics that they've published, and... Um, I think uh, his artwork is not what it's going to become here, but I think he does a great job with textures, and I think he does a great job with weights, and that makes him really good for sci-fi because when a guy is made of rocks and metal and wearing fabric, he's really good at portraying those as three separate textures and not just like three different areas of color. Yeah, um, and he does that repeatedly. So like, uh, you get the feel; you can tell that the the bugs are wearing metal armor, and that the uh, resistance fighters are wearing leather and stuff. And just all of the way he portrays textures, I think, is second to none. I really like camo. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a boring story, but um, the dialogue and the artwork is enough to like keep me— uh, I was reading this and having a good time with it.
1: Pyebok has his uh, hypno-eyes, and it's very funny. Doesn't work,
0: which no. is fair. Pyebok also does the uh, Hulkling trick of growing those cool green dragon wings like that. Yeah. I always think that's a good look. Yep. Um so. Terex cuts the planet in half in his rage. And then it, I also like that it's not it doesn't ever present Terex as like an aspirational figure. Terex is like a bad no, dude to hoy through.
1: Oh, he's garbage. He's
0: hot uh, garbage. Which I like. So then the next story is um, the Stardust story, which is written by Stuart Moore, of all people. Illustrated by uh, I wrote Mole McCone. Is that right? That doesn't sound right. To the front of the book. Illustrated by Mike McCone. That makes a lot more sense. It's not mole. Uh, illustrated by Mike McCone with colors by Laura Villari and letter by Corey Petit. Um, so of these four stories, this was kind of my favorite, actually. Huh. It's about how Stardust, we, we just learn a little bit more about Stardust, who's one of the Heralds of Galactus. And it turns out he's an ethereal, which is like this race of energy beings who perceive the universe and the laws of physics really different from us. Mm -hmm. and uh it's about how after the annihilation war there's only a couple of them left and stardust kills them for his master galactus to prove his loyalty
1: and gets re-empowered for his trouble um it's really dark yeah because the 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 ethereals escape almost genocide at the annihilation wave and then stardust almost commits genocide again uh absorbs them to try and preserve them and then Does basically end up committing genocide by feeding him to Galactus. What I loved about this story is kind of a herald, you know, it's a rite of passage for heralds, but he didn't seem all that conflicted about it.
0: What what made it work for me as a story so much is um, the artwork is almost entirely abstract. None of the ethereals have anything like a humanoid form. Only, but but Stardust chooses to have one because the whole story is about how he uh, covets uh, corporeal beings. And yeah, just in a brief couple of pages, what this felt like to me was we were talking about pulp sci-fi, and this was such a great pulp sci-fi story. Uh, it has like a Twilight Zone, early Star Trek feel to it, and um, but I feel like actually the only place that was doing stories like this was in sci-fi comic magazines.
1: Yeah, and it, the darkness of <laughs> the art was really nice. Like even though there probably would have been a lot more stars, the lack of stars in a lot of the panels were just. This- Black ink. Very nice. And it kind of helps sell the kind of the, the, the loneliness of it and made in stark contrast Stardust and everything else around it. Yeah,
0: and once Galactus shows up, all the Galactus machines are super weird and freaky. Yeah. Um, Mike McCone deserves himself a big old plate of mole for Yeah.
1: And then we've got uh, Afterburn, which features uh, our good friend Firelord written by Keith Giffen, illustrated by Scott Collins, colored by June Chung, and lettered by VCs Corey Petit. And My notes yeah. say, th-
0: this Fire Lord story was very boring.
1: It was a big load of nothing. Fire Lord comes in, beats some people up, kills some other people, and then kind of protects a few other of the Centurions. He's basically on a revenge quest. Uh, and it's many, many days after the end of it. I think it's uh, Annihilation Day 274. So... Uh, before Armistice Day, actually.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, this is a no- nothing story, and it's an overwritten nothing story, which is pretty damning. Yeah. Just like, yeah. why is there so much writing and so little happening? All and I Pete have to Giffen say— Giffen
1: did it, which shocked me, but Yeah, uh, it seems like an
0: afterthought for him. All I'll say is, of those heralds, uh, Star-Lord's my favorite design. I, When I was a kid, there was a Star-Lord toy at the toy store that Fire-Lord. I really wanted. Yeah, sorry. I keep, uh, Fire-Lord. Uh, I love his weird staff. I think he looks cool.
1: Yeah, he does look cool. Don't like him as a character. I think he's, he kind of sucks.
0: I uh, I mean, he sucks in the same way that, like, Terax sucks, but, like, is less interesting. Terex is at least yeah. grumpy.
1: And then the final story, we get a little bit of some sequel bait backstory for the uh, whatever they were called, you know, TNA. Tena- yeah. Tenebrius and, and Aegis, uh, and we get to see our Proto Watcher in a, an Antiphony, or antiphon, our Antiphone, our Proto Angel and Brio, and a Proto Mephisto and Diableri. God, that's, oh, that's such a what a garbage name! Oh, I design. like that. St- I like it so name. much.
0: I like those bad names. Um, these, um, this story is called Brothers Keeper. And it's also written by Keith Giffen and it is drawn by Andrea Devito, who did the main series, colored by Paul Mounts, with letters by Corey Petit. And I actually gotta say, I um so uh this is not the very last thing by giffen we're gonna read in this run but this is kind of the end of his big story and i like that he's ending it by just uh putting a bunch of weird cosmic mythology in the marvel universe putting it out there for anybody to pick up i think it's really interesting i like it doesn't like heavily retcon a bunch of existing stuff it just gives you like a couple of interesting toys and threads to play with like the uh the chaos uh, sprites And, yeah, the origin of demons in the universe, these weird cosmic beings are cool. And it ends with um, just a fight between Silver Surfer proving his worth to Galactus by um, going head-to-head with uh, Tenebris and Aegis, who the two of them were enough to beat up Galactus before, but Surfer using... Awesome surfing moves actually tricks them into dying by like cascading energy onto them. It's super weird looking, but it looks like cool surfing, so I freaking yeah. loved it. And after sends like, them a... into
1: the crunch by surfing on it.
0: Yeah, just surfing the stars like a Silver Surfer should. And there's um. There's a lot of exposition and a lot of Giffen overwriting, but for blessedly, for the last bunch of pages, it is totally silent, and he's it's just like a thank you to DeVito. Just please get to draw awesome Silver Surfer action, and it's great. It's great Silver Surfer action, and Silver Surfer fights are like no other superhero, and I love them when they're good.
1: Yeah, and it just ends with you know classic Galactus hungers that great great Garfield hook. Uh, he and, needs some planetary lasagna. Um, yeah when you're galactus every day is a monday every day is and that's about it for all the the big grand cosmic stuff for this time because next we have the first three issues of the nova ongoing which kind of acts as a prologue to what will come next next time before we get full into nova just like we just finished annihilation
0: Elias. um this uh, there's going to be a couple more wars, and this is probably not in my top three cosmic wars even that we're going to read. But what, what did you think of your first big Marvel cosmic crossover?
1: It was odd. It is odd. Uh, that's it's a great a word very for it. odd book because it 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 it's on its own. Like we had all those miniseries beforehand, but like it's entirely its own thing, and I'm just not used to that with Marvel. There's, there's they've all they're always tying it into something else. they're always doing like something or other um, or the thing is being birthed out of the ether like civil war and everything has to tie into it but this was entirely self-contained you know we had the the miniseries and we had the prologue stuff. We, we didn't really need any of that except maybe the annihilation Prologue issue where, and like the nova the nova stuff but annihilation on its own was it was an it was an interesting event it was a very different event for what from what i'm used to yeah i don't know exactly how i feel about it cuz it was just one big like war book and had a lot of really interesting sci-fi concepts that were kind of explored throughout it but were more i feel like they could be picked up later on they weren't really important to the story itself and Annihilus was just being a petulant kid, and it was fun to watch him be a petulant kid the whole time.
0: Yeah, and I what I like about this, I guess, is it really sets up, I get now, I think at this point Marvel was like, well, what are we going to do with all these cosmic properties? We've got all these, we got Philavell and we got Drax the Destroyer, we have all these characters, but what do you do with them? And they've just managed to turn the Marvel version of Star Wars. It's like a little grittier than Star Wars, and a little bit more, like, the, you feel the war as much as you do the stars, but there's a lot of superhero action, and there's a lot of goofiness, yeah. Um. It's just like a, They really establish their own flavor that runs parallel to your Spider-Man books and your Avengers books.
1: Yeah. It, it's very different. It sets itself apart, and it's not forced to be drawn into whatever BS is happening on Earth until. Great. Transition. Nova one to three. Okay. Was so written. Let me yeah, do the so, credits. Then we can yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna do the credits, but go ahead. <laughs> Written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, illustrated by Sean Chun and Scott Hanna, colored by Guru FX, and once again lettered by VCs Corey Petit.
0: So this is it, Abnett and Lanning. This is the beginning of their Nova ongoing. Uh, glancing at our reading list, we are going to read um, something like thirty-five issues of Nova, something like that. Yeah. So like, uh, this is this is it. This is the beginning of an ongoing series. This ongoing series will now run parallel to whatever else is going on. If you went beyond issue number three to the fourth issue of this, you already got major spoilers for um, what's going to happen in the next big
1: event. Yeah, um, I, I made sure not to. Cool, because there's
0: like a bunch of big twists that that will reveal. There's also going to be a bunch of other familiar Marvel characters who, when you see how they're involved, I think you will be delighted because it's very surprising if you'll manage to get that far without being spoiled. Although I'm sure the covers will spoil it before you get there.
1: Yeah, Probably
0: um but these three issues yeah i'm excited it's really going to set the tone of what this is going to turn into and and while i like what giffen's doing i think that's like a fun prologue this is where it starts in earnest this is where it's really picking up for me this is where the writing style really gels and you feel the ongoing thrust of like a big meta story instead of a bunch of just like random stuff like the like cammy or super scroll coming in and out like
1: everything now informs something and it uh, when I read these three issues, I was like, oh, this is already leagues above what came before, and I really enjoyed a lot of what we just read, but the, these Nova issues really felt like something special, and I'm sure it felt like something special to the people who were reading it at the time that Civil War was happening, because this deals explicitly with the aftermath Of civil war from Nova's perspective, perspective someone who missed out on the entire thing because he was too busy fighting, you know, a universe-saving war while Tony and Cap were fighting on Earth. What it really helps too is that
0: Nova's take on civil war is basically, I think, the modern-day critical consensus on civil war as a comic. Which is that it was uh, stupid and forced, and people were forced to act out of character to serve a political uh, agenda by a guy who I don't think many readers are happy comfortable with his politics. That guy being Mark Miller, um, who had, like, real kind of xenophobic, pro-security, Bush-era politics. And here's Nova being like, that comic was stupid, and you're stupid for not being in my better comic. It's his attitude (laughs) for this entire show. He's like, Tony, what the fuck
1: are you doing?
0: Yeah, so um, so issue one actually, he doesn't get to Earth. Issue one just establishes what no, like what a day in the life of Nova is like now, and he's like a super space cop, and there's no other cops. He's answering every distress call in the galaxy, going around compulsively, and actually, establishes... he's not even
1: like a space cop. He's much more like a space disaster relief.
0: Yeah, there's like, well, there's monsters running around, and there's yeah. annihilation bugs who uh, never made it back to where where they were supposed to be, so they're just killing people. But then you, you get the sense that there's just like supernovas and black holes and tidal waves and earthquakes, and he's just running around space dealing with everything without sleeping or eating for days.
1: Yeah, he's really running himself ragged. Even World Mind is worried.
0: So I was, because... and I was gonna say, so, and the other thing is, uh, World Mind. We established Nova and World Mind have like a fun uh, robot pal
1: dynamic, which wasn't in any of Annihilation, interestingly. Like, World yeah, World we... does not speak.
0: Yeah, not for those six issues, but World Mine Actually, now that you mention it, World Mine is only really spoken in the Admin and Lenning issues.
1: Yeah. I, um, I think Given just was
0: like, eh, whatever. And World Mine is um, a thing that the Marvel movies have really loved, which is having like a fun, sassy, talking AI that lives in your super suit. Yep. Um... But yeah, so the first issue is like a day in the life of Nova fighting. And I think it's good because it really helps establish uh, the emotional stakes. But he uh, is making mistakes and he's getting tired.
1: And World Mind convinces him to return to Earth for shore leave. And he's like, no, I don't want to go there. But, you know, he ends up going there because he he screws up when he gets too close to basically a black hole while taking a shortcut. He's like, no, I can do it. And World Mind's like, dude, we're going to die. And then he crash lands on the moon and it's like, well, I guess I'm going home. Yeah.
0: And uh once he gets to Earth, we meet his parents. Um his dad is the fucking worst. I know people like that. You oh he, my god, he's ugh. The the boy. art is what really does it cuz so he's got this little douchey goatee which isn't great. But then just every time he's emoting, he looks like he is just uh, losing his temper and, like, blowing his top at every little thing. And so when he's just like, Richard, your mother was very worried and upset, it just, like, it really comes across as the most, like, yelling, lecturing, awful bad thing. Like, this guy has no chill.
1: He's just going from zero to 100. Yeah. He's. Ugh. Every time he's on the screen, we're like. Ew. And he's he's very much loves Norman Osborn's Thunderbolts, Hammer. He's like, yes, Real please. Fox News dad. Yeah. I think they even cite Fox News there. Yeah, they do mention Fox
0: News, although it has a different vibe than I think it would have today. This oh, is true. Uh,
1: Fox, had, I, Fox had only been around for 10 years at that point. Yeah, crazy to think about. It. Crazy to think about.
0: Um, we also, an interesting dynamic that creeps up here is that... You know, I forgot about this going in because it's not something I often think about. But uh, the inciting incident in the comic Civil War is that a bunch of the new warriors are trying to make a reality show, and um, something goes wrong, and a villain ends up killing a bunch of kids on the air, which is so Marvel in this t- era. Yeah. But. Nova was a founding member of the New Warriors so he when he comes back to Earth he is like one of the most hated possible heroes and he's just like disinterested. He's just like, I want like a coffee and a hot dog, please and everyone's just, is like throwing soda cans at him.
1: Yeah, poor Richard he just he, um, there's there's a bit of a I don't I don't know if this was intentional, but there's also there's like a, this undercurrent of like the unappreciated vet.
0: Uh, that's totally. It. That's in fact what I would say is the main character uh, trait of Richard Riders moving into the future is now he's a veteran, and there's like a bunch of different ways in which that gets explored. Sometimes he gets respect. Sometimes he doesn't get respect. Sometimes people don't understand his struggles. Uh, he, sometimes he's got trauma, but he's like a real veteran now. Yeah, which is great because before he was kind of like, what if Spider-Man was also Green Lantern, and now he's got a lot of pathos and he's got a lot of uh, a lot of there's angst. a lot of, yeah, but it's not just that he has angst. There's a lot more texture to him.
1: Mm. You, you know, before yeah, he was there's a pretty, there's more to him to set him apart.
0: Yeah, be, like um, they broke him down, but in breaking him down, they really are building him back up because now there's so much you could do with him. Yeah, and you could, you can, There's fun versions and there's uh, realistic versions. I just, uh, I think that's I love when a story adds something in a way that uh, sticks in this ongoing narrative. Uh, really quick, I need to mention that, um, after Richard meets with Tony Stark, who's like, hey, you should consider joining the Initiative and, like, uh, Chasing Unregistered Heroes, and Richard's just like, why? Like, billions of people are dying in space, and Tony Stark's like, oh, well, that doesn't sound real to me. Um, yeah. and then Tony sends, and remember, um,
1: Tony Stark was right. About which part? Civil War. Um, I mean, I... That's Mark Millar's line. Um... Yeah, that dude. That, that dude. dude he, that dude's not going <laughs> to come on the That's podcast. That's kind of the undercurrent of, of these issues, too, is, like, the tension against the the status quo that Marvel really wants to push. And he's like, why?
0: Yeah, and he's just like, again, it's all like, uh, why? These comics are bad and my comics are good. <laughs> come yeah. be in my comics. He talks um, with
1: justice. So I was going to say, so what do you know about justice, Elias? Nothing. I. Everything I know about the New Warriors is summed up in that Civil War issue. They blew up. They did reality shows. That's it. That's all I know about them. Uh, Justice becomes penance.
0: Justice is like a I don't know. Just like a, when you look at him, what do you does, does he, anything about you uh, stick out? Does, he's a pretty generic looking hero. I'm not trying yeah. to trick you or anything. He's got like a star in his chest. He's got a big blue cape. He's got one of those like uh headgear latex condoms for your the head but not your hair ears <laughs> um yeah and he, he looks like a, a really like a dc hero whose name you would have forgotten too i feel like it's like not a very marvel design at all nah, um, no um uh, justice was a member of the avengers in kurt six run uh, i was a member of the new warriors too, as well uh, his name is vance astro and he was an astronaut which is a great name for an astronaut um, there are is some time travel shenanigans which we're going to get into in much greater detail but an older version of Vance Astro is actually going to be an important member of the Guardians of the Galaxy
1: huh okay
0: um, so just due to time travel shenanigans older grizzled Vance Astro in like a weird time travel suit and Captain America's shield is going to become the Guardians' own major victory more on that um, oh, cool. in about two or three episodes of
1: our podcast okay We'll find out that. Stay tuned. Um... Yeah, so he talks with Justice. They talk it out, and he's he's like, "What happened to the new warriors?" New war-. He's like, Justice is like, "Well, they're all dead, except for uh, Robbie." No, they're. I think he says they're all dead. Um, and then Richard Rider goes home to be sad, falls asleep. World Mind wakes up and completely freaks this father out, which. I mean, I I get like thirty percent of his freak out, and the other seventy percent is because he is the absolute worst. Thirty percent is a very good number. That's yeah. yeah. And so Rich leaves, uh, gets in a good fight with Diamond Head, which.
0: <laughs> yeah, his name's Diamond Head. His he head's a diamond, <laughs> a and he knows how to use it,
1: it. He headbutts him. It's it looks so
0: silly. Uh, he gets pulled in by the cops, who are very confused about his registration status. I also really like that everyone keeps on b- being like, uh, excuse me, you're unregistered. And he's like, no, I'm registered with space, and you're in space, so you can fuck off. I just think he's, uh, every time he says that, I'm like, you go, Nova. You're so right.
1: Yeah. Um, but the he runs into the- show up.
0: Yeah, the Warren Ellis era Thunderbolts. Holy crap. We read Thunderbolts on this very show, but not this
1: era. No, we. but one of the people from that era is here. That's
0: right. Um, Moonstone is uh, still yeah. a member of the team. With I love her costume. costume in this. I think this is a great costume.
1: Yeah, with the big diamond. Moonstone, Venom, Penance, and there's a fourth member. Who... And
0: Radioactive Man.
1: Radioactive Man.
0: Um, Oof. and uh, they come in and throw down with Nova because he's unregistered. So we get like a pretty typical Marvel universe fight from that. But what's yeah. so fun about that is because of how gritty and warlike and different this has been having like heroes fighting villains in like a long Island town feels like such a breath of fresh air, but it also feels like, Oh, this isn't what we're about. Why are we doing this?
1: Yeah. And, and that's even the tone of the comic and Tony Stark has to show up and break it up to be like, Thunderbolts, what the fuck are you doing? And they're like, shut up. We know what we're doing. We're taking in this unregistered hero. And Tony's like, dude, you're literally destroying this town.
0: Yeah, and because they're the Thunderbolts, they're, they're pretty evil in this era. They're like, "Oh, it wasn't me."
1: Yeah, and then um, we get some good family drama. Great, and we family also get, drama.
0: and we get the uh, oh you, th- yeah, there's there's a lot of yelling. I was jumping ahead, but we get um, Richard's dad yells at him. It's like really intense, and uh, he You're goes not outside. My son, yeah, just Jesus, guy, yeah. no chill. I do not care for this spell at all. Um But Richard comes outside, and he sees Penance, and Penance takes off his helmet, and it turns out it's Robbie, it's Speedball, a member of the New Warriors who everyone thinks is dead.
1: Yeah, Um, which, have we gone into
0: that before? I don't think we need to get, like, deep into it's Speedball, Penance stuff, because that's, like, its own fucking episode that's not that relevant here. Just, like, um, what do you think of Penance in general,
1: and what do you think of his presence in this issue? His presence in this issue is excellent. I think that was... I think penance is stupid. Just whole cloth, stupid, bad design, uh, ridiculous concept. Every like it, it is emblematic of everything wrong with this era of Marvel comics. But yeah. his use here makes it worth it. Can I well, hit you with more, my? Yeah, no, it doesn't make it worth it. I still think it should never happen. <laughs> uh, can mind. I hit? What? Can I hit you with a really hot take? Do it. I agree with
0: everything you said until that last sentence because I think Penance is kind of great. Um, I The idea is bad. The idea is emblematic of everything wrong with this. But I could find you a ton of good comics that Penance appeared in in this era that are really good just like this.
1: I think people knew what to do with Penance once they had him.
0: Totally. And uh, yeah, he came about for the worst possible reasons and uh, he's really stupid Um, I kind of like his stupid design, but it's also very emblematic of the stupidity of it. But yeah, all of the, um, this conversation that Nova has, this is kind of what Penance does in most of his appearances.
1: He, He just shows up and is like, I'm paying for my crimes and they have just a heart to heart. Yeah, which
0: is people disagreeing with him because they're like, this is crazy, and then they talk about all the thematic stuff with Penance where he's yeah. just like, no, this is why I feel like I need to do this, and then they tell him why they don't, and then it's two interesting perspectives, greatly exaggerated because it's a superhero comic.
1: Yeah, and it, here it, it had, takes on additional weight because they both were new warriors, and they both have had these traumatic experiences that have completely reshaped their lives, uh, and while... Rich Richard may not feel the same type of guilt as Penance. He definitely feels guilty over the destruction of Xandar. Like I, I, I get the feeling that he's like he's carrying the weight of those deaths. Everywhere. Totally,
0: that's why he's uh, fighting so hard at the, in the beginning of issue one of this. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's a great um contrast too. It uses penance, the penance, is, penance is what Richard could look like if he was uh. If he had learned the wrong lessons, if he hadn't met all the friends he did, who had uh, been such a great support, like Star Lord and Drax and Gamora and everybody.
1: If Drax hadn't, if Drax hadn't punched him hard, but this it, is that who was he the punch he, been.
0: it's the punch he needed at that time, right? Because Penix yeah. is getting punched by Moonstone and Norman Osborn over in Thunderbolts right now, oh my. and uh, yeah. and it's it's real bad. But like uh, Richard found people who really cared about him, and it, it like helped him work through the same guilty feelings that his friend can't cope with just yet.
1: Yeah. And I so, think, that leads us me. to basically the end of the issue. These issues where he decides, you know what? Earth isn't for me. Flies up into space, gives his parents a goodbye message, because he's like, well, I can't do this in person, because Dad would probably yell like an ass, but I'm gone. I hope, hope you guys are, are going to be okay. I'll send home letters, I guess. Uh, and then he... S. World to plot him a course to the nearest problem. And he's like, Well, there are all these problems. But Hala kind of had like 300 messages in the last 20 minutes. And he's like, I guess we're going to Hala.
0: Um, yeah. And he's flying right off into what will be our reading for next episode, which is the beginning of the Annihilation Conquest story. This is the start of a whole new conflict, a whole new space war. Um, for clarity's sake I am going to even though the comic is called Annihilation colon Conquest we're going to call this the Conquest War okay first one was the Annihilation War the second one will be called the Conquest War and the third one will be the War of Kings when we get there Um, but for next time you will be reading we will be reading um, first Annihilation Conquest Prologue number one it's a real nice easy recap issue to um, explain how we got here and what the stakes are then Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord numbers one to four and Annihilation Conquest Kazar number one to four. Um, I'm going to tell you, Elias, and you who's reading along at home, pay extra attention to Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord one to four. I believe that is the last thing that we will be reading by Keith Giffen, or one of the last things. But this is also the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy. This is Star-Lord meeting Rocket Raccoon, getting the idea to form a team called the Guardians, and starting to put that together. They won't be called that until uh, a few episodes from now, but that's the big story to come out of this. And it's yeah. good. It's a, it's really fun.
1: And so all of that will be collected in the Annihilation Conquest Book One. So read that, uh, but keep your Nova trade around if you were reading in trade and not single issues, because we will be returning to Nova a little bit later in the following episode. Yeah. So, um, any yeah.
0: last thoughts on that, Jake? Uh, no, I'm so excited we're doing this. I feel like, uh, we had a really fun time with these shakier, earlier issues, and now it's gonna get much more solid, and if you were enjoying the, uh, latter half of this read-along, I think you should be optimistic, because there's great stuff to
1: come. I'm thrilled. I'm having a great time. Yeah. We covered a lot of issues so a far. Lot, a lot happened in those issues, oh too. God. Yeah. The next time, it'll be nice to take a breather and only have nine issues to cover. Yeah, you say Instead of that, eleven. It's gonna be dense. You're gonna like it. Oh, goodness. Uh, I apologize, everyone, for our long episodes. But you know what you, know what you were getting into at this point. Yeah, we need the score. But we in the meantime,
0: this... Elias, if people wanted to hear more of you because uh, two hours plus was not enough, where could they find you on the internet?
1: Well, they wouldn't be able to hear me. This is the only podcast I do. Um, but you will be able to find me on Twitter at Quetzalish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Quetzalish is the name of my new space empire. Don't worry about it. I'm sure it, it won't have any any relevance for another 60 issues. Uh, <laughs> and you can find me writing over here at multiversitycomics.com. I've been on and off with a bunch of TV shows as they go on hiatus, come back from hiatus. You know the score, as, it, as you do. And Jake, where can they find you on the larger interwebs?
0: Well, I, too, am a contributor to MultiversityComics.com. It's a pretty great website, and you should check it out. Um, Shortly, in a very soon episode, I might have more places to announce where you can find my good works. But in the meantime, you can find me there, and keep an eye looking at my Twitter, which is at rambling underscore moose. Rambling like someone who talks for two hours plus about Marvel Comics, and moose like an animal with big antlers. And an underscore, like the thing that comes up when you press shift and hyphen. Um, And... It's been delightful hanging out with you, Elias, and it's been delightful talking to y'all on the internet.
1: Thank you all for, for being here for the end of the Annihilation War and the start next time of the Conquest War. Excelsior.